All right, folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom and welcome to a very special pre-Hanukkah show with lots of exciting segments and lots of exciting action. And there's no more exciting than our own, the beloved and delightful Maka Fleischer. Shalom and welcome. Yes, thank you. Happy pre-Hanukkah. Yes, and I want to congratulate you. Uh, We're now in our living room and I see that this living room has been transformed from just a you know regular Clark Kent living room. That's right, a little a, a little beautiful Judean living room, into a Hanukkah extravaganza, uh, light, light bedecked, and uh, and festive, uh, victorious, uh, and uh, wintry, and also yeah, there's like an element of Hanukkah is also winter. It's like yeah. our way to to. Right. There's an element of that. That's part of the Jewish tradition as well. But definitely in this moment of challenge and pain and war, to see this room decked out like Hanukkah is giving me the good feelings, and I needed that just now. Awesome. Yeah, I love, I love Hanukkah. I love all the holidays. The truth is if they made decorations for all the holidays, I would definitely decorate for all of them. Malka, you decorate for all the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> you decorate for all the holidays. Don't tell me you don't decorate I for do the holidays. I do like to decorate, but you know how it is. Uh, there's a lot of Hanukkah decorations. You know what I recommend to people? Yeah. I recommend you have a luggage of the holidays. I have a luggage just for Hanukkah. It's got full of Hanukkah stuff, dreidels, chanukiot, uh, lights, uh, a, a different word for tinsel, because that's a that's a we don't say tinsel we don't see that word but whatever but that it, is this is pretty fluffy material tinsel like non tinsel that has cute menorahs and dreidels coming off of right it. exactly synonym for tinsel that's what I meant and uh, you know and all the stuff that's in my in my Hanukkah luggage I also have a gigantic Pesach luggage yes super and, gigantic and of course the Sukkot stuff Sukkot yep. is its own luggage the decorations so so I highly uh, recommend that you know Malka um, you have made the house more jovial. Thank you. I'm feeling joviality a little bit. That's good. And we could use a little joviality these at, days. At the same time, people are being, soldiers are right. dying. Soldiers died today. Right. And it was interesting because our daughter, Leah, cried to me about something. It was so true, painful, and smart, and a good analysis. She said, I'm not just crying for the fact that soldiers have been killed today, but also that we don't have time to mourn for them. Right. She said to me about the D family. Mm. She said, she said the D family. Right. Uh, Lucy we, we, and Maya and Rena. Right. Like we had time to, 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 to. Right. Here, here in, in Judea, their deaths are all around the country, but in, in Judea, especially their deaths were a big deal. And right. then when they drove by, there was like a practically like some kind of like a parade sort of event. And, and it was a big, you know, you could, the family felt the support of the, you know, of the, the whole a- region. Right. And now there's so many people and they're, they're, you know, not to mention just the victims that still, you know, that two months ago seems like so long, but it wasn't so long, you know, that they, that they uh, were taken from us so brutally. And and names go by like in a ticker tape. Right. And then there's people, there's tons of people. We don't even discuss the people who are alive, who are dealing with major psychological or physical uh, issues. There's like 6,000 injuries. It's it's something else. You know what I mean? And you know, we have, we have a lot of uh, war injured and, and unfortunately we do have losses uh, now on a daily basis, God forbid. And hopefully there'll be no more. 
So but, we have to. But it's a it's a real it's very real out here. It's really real, and we're praying for it. And that's but why you're I, right that you you know each one of these people is like such an incredible gem, and they each deserve like a week of like national attention. Yeah. But we can't give them an hour of national attention. Right. Right. But instead, what you do is you start to slip into a, a light depression. Right. And that's why I want to thank you uh, ah. for for this Hanukkah stuff. Oh. And I had a feeling that Hanukkah is going to be needed. Right. We're going to need that light. As opposed to celebrating that light, we're going to... We, we right. Need. It's not like a luxury. It's like a it's not like It's not like we're... The, I, I, I understood this some time ago, and I think I talked about it on a previous show, which is that sometimes Israel is a light unto the nations. But other times, it's like, a, it's like a, the, the temple. It's a light to the world. But sometimes it's like the ark where the light is in, where the world outside is chaotic and there's a light inside. And that's what I think Israel is today, which is like today it's gone back to being that safe haven, that respite, the, this, this, this home that you run away to. That's what I feel about Hanukkah. Hanukkah. We got to make sure that that Israel is that, by the way. Oh yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that's happening right now, is that is that Israel is trying to make sure that the entire world gets the message, you know, because we were we were violated in a major major way, and this foundational identity as a safe haven of the Jews was like question put into question. Right. As so many people, as the greatest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust took place. Um, and so now it's Israel's job. Mm. It's its mandate to show itself to absolutely, yes, be the safe haven of the Jewish people. Come hell or high water, no matter what. Right. That we're going to make sure that everybody knows that a Jewish person is safe in, in the state of Israel. Right, what you were saying about Hanukkah. I was sorry. just saying that we. Uh, I was just saying we, we got to like right now. I feel it. The light is something I need. Right, I need that light. Absolutely, I need that light right now inside. I need. I need it to help me. And you know, I've got this like public persona of being very positive and right. a positivist, and that's only because it's true. But even now, I could feel with the with the deaths and with the war and with the question marks. There's a down. Right. There's a down. It'll, it'll pull you down. And then I say to myself. Gosh darn it, it's the bad guys that want it and I can't give it to them. But it's not always easy to pull yourself out. And so, to all my beloved listeners and friends, I give you permission to start like decorating your house a little bit early. Get it's the not Hanukkah. so early. No, it's, it's already, so early. It's already right. Thursday night is Hanukkah. That's right. Get it going. Thursday night. Is that tomorrow night? Yeah. Well, by the time that you post the show, it'll yeah. probably be tonight for the people who are listening. Well, happy Hanukkah, y'all. Yeah, happy Hanukkah to everybody. Sheesh. Yeah. And we just got to... So if we ever needed the... Like, whatever... Which holiday did we like need the most exactly right now? That's what I'm saying. The entire Jewish year. That's it. That's what I'm saying. It's like the holiday of like the Maccabees and taking like a down situation and turning it around and, and, and totally rocking it. Down at Chabad uh, here in our town, the rabbi was selling these light up menorot, these light up Hanukkiah. Yeah. It's like plug-in, made in China, but it like it even sticks on with magnets to your car. I That's saw my it. dream, by the way. I am Bli Neder. Oh yes, going to drive around with a menorah on the top of my car. Okay, okay. So I just want to tell you that I saw that he like put it out like two weeks ago. I'm like, okay, all right, whatever, you know. Then like today, I'm like, Rabbi, 
<laughs> Rabbi, you, you got the menorah? You got the Hanukkah? The light up Hanukkah? He's like, yes, Yishai, I've got another one for you. I'm like, I'm com- I'm coming down to buy it. And, and and there it is. I'm just yeah, trying to really say. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, but it's, it's, well gi- done. it's given me cheer. Yeah, it's cheer. It's given me cheer. It's given me victory and strength. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All Hanukkah right. it up big. Now, you know who else is struggling with, with uh, Hanukkah? Who? The good Jews on American campus. Yeah. They're under attack, okay? So bad. Tell me about what uh, what happened uh, in Congress there. Well, I think it was in Congress. I saw a video that went around, and it looked like it was some kind of a um, an inquiry panel of some kind. Um, it looked like there was a panel with a congresswoman and um, the heads of some of the most celebrated universities in the United States. The ones I saw were Harvard, MIT, and Penn. I think it was right. University of Pennsylvania. These right. are Ivy League schools. So the congressperson goes, "Okay." To who? To the to the she, she goes grilling. one by one to the to the different heads of these universities. The presidents of the universities. I think it's the presidents. Yeah. Who were all women? Were they all women? I think they were all women, which was I never like thought about. Anyway, uh, that's not important. The point the point is that that um, she goes one by one to these people, and she's like, "Listen, they're they're calling for genocide." of of uh jews on your campus on your campus is that okay like is that like punishable or whatever is that um is that would that be considering considered like intimidation or like bullying bullying hate speech and they're like so they go to one of them i can't remember who was first let's say it was pen so they're like um well it really depends on the circumstance and she's like there's jews on your campus there's people on your campus calling for the genocide of Jews. Is that like punishable? They're like, if it turns into action, then that would be punishable. They're like, if they do the action, genocide. So wait, if you genocide people, then that is what is like, they have to like actually off another fellow student. She didn't say that. I'm extrapolating. But she's like, she's like, so I want you to say the word yes or no calling for the genocide of Jews on your campus is intimidation and bullying and hate speech. And they're like, it depends. Literally, she goes person to person through these three people and she could not squeeze out of them. Incidentally, they were ready. Like they were not, no matter how much this legislator pushed on them, they did not break. They knew exactly what they were going to say. They knew who their donors are. They know who who their new jihadi constituents are. And and they have a situation in their in their schools that that's their student body now. My suggestion is radical. I say Jews should drop these places. They should leave. Jews should leave MIT. Yes. Jews should leave Harvard. Yes. University. Yes. Penn. That's right. Wait a second. I want to. I want to. Just like Jews, just like Israel, should leave the United Nations. Same thing. Wait. You're a little eight-year-old little smart little Jewish kid okay your mommy and your daddy who are successful at what they do have been raising you since you were just a tiny little toddler to toddle around in a in a I'm going to Harvard uh you know 2036 class of 2036 or whatever t-shirt okay and you have been volunteering at your local something you are the president of the the, this club you are the captain of the that team you are the 
valedictorian of your class you study overtime you don't go to parties everything so that you can make like the killer grades and be like the perfect person to make it into an ivy league school which is so hard to get into and which is your like which is your golden ticket into a life of of smart people of successful people of like sick hookups in in the networking of business and finance and and everything everywhere you want to be and Jews are supposed to just be like you're mean to me I'm not gonna avail myself of this opportunity there's no blessing in a place that's anti-semitic and anti-semites at the end are there's a darkness inside there and these places are funded by anti-semites now today they've become cesspools of anti-semitism anti-israelism you're not gonna you're not gonna benefit better to find a school in Florida or find one what, of the University of Florida. So I'm either going to Harvard yeah. University. Yep. One of the most recognized names in academia across this entire planet. Recognized for anti Semitism. I'm gonna be like, what is it, a gator? No, whatever. Down in Florida. Don't, no, no, no. These are these are serious institutions. And there are other ones. And there are other ones. And by the way, I also think that probably like the Christian schools. You know the, the the various ones that are bi- biblical. Not that that's I'm, not for everybody, folks. No, in, yeah. New York, in New York, a lot of people go to. I forgot the names of these schools. The Jesuit schools. The, uh, oh, you mean like Fordham, Duke or whatever? Not Duke, like not Ford, Duke. Uh, whatever people go to these to these uh, schools. That one that was in Rudy. What's the name of that school? Oh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Yeah. Notre Dame. Sorry. Um. Um. You know, like I I I I wouldn't be surprised if if those schools would be more welcoming right now. And of course, there is another whole set of schools. It's called the schools in the Jewish state, like the Technion or or a Weizmann Institute. Like, come on down, force the doors open here, and like let let's do it. You know what I mean? Let's give you opportunities. And and I have, I have it's not that I just don't want people to suffer anti-Semitism. I don't want us, those people to be blessed by Jewish minds, by Jewish. Well, you money. don't want the haters to be. Blessed I don't want by the Jewish haters mind. to 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 have the, the the blessings of having these wonderful Jewish kids there. Just bleep off right. and, and like you you, you it is it is i want to take a moment though and, to, and, and i yeah. believe that those those places will lose their status when right. the jews I leave think so too. same thing with the un i say israel enough already until when just leave that institution and let it choke on itself it's nothing it's emptiness it's a, it's a shell it's just a nail it's a klipa it's nothing it's externality leave this thing and let them stew in their own you know in their own emptiness and and we just say we don't play like your game anymore. Go go. You say whatever you you can you can diss us as much as you want. It doesn't matter. Right. We don't listen to your anti-Semites. Your haters. You're like Nazis. Forget it. Forget it. And just I just want to take a second though, Ishai. Like you may be morally correct, but I just want to take a second to like acknowledge the pain for a second. Like right. I want to. I want to. Like what you're saying is tachlis, the good piece of advice. But I just want to say, like, I recognize that some people are going through a major cognitive and uh, and social upheaval in their own lives, having to turn their backs on things that they like wanted and that they wanted to be part of and that they thought they belonged in for a really long time. And to feel that you like have to have to close doors that you wanted open that you have to decide to turn away from things that once looked so good because now they don't look so good. That's really hard. Um, and I just want to say, I'm sorry. Like I don't have like a great piece of wisdom. I, I just want to say like, I appreciate your situation and I, 
And I really want to bless you only that like the that, you know, you as like a smart Jew on campus, um, you're going to be fine. Like you're going to make it. You're going to have an awesome job. You're going to have an awesome career. They don't you don't need to be in Harvard to be a thinker. You don't need to go to MIT to be a scientist. You don't need to do these things in order to achieve greatness. You can do that on your own. And we also have to recognize that there's a war on right now. There's anti-Semitism. It's real. It's real. You got to look it in the eye. You can't, it's not normal times. It's, it is what it is. You have to see that change. You have to accept that change. We have to shift gears. My good friend Zev called me and he said to me, Ishai, he said, American Aliyah from now on will always have a tinge of, of deciding to move to Israel on the basis of the fact that there's one level or another of anti-Semitism. It might be that you feel anti-Semitism in the street or at the workplace, or it might be that you're afraid of sending your kids to college in America because right. things have changed. Right. It's so crazy because no yeah. one ever would have thought that in the United States of America that people would... I mean, thank God. I, I think that there's, you know, Jews... Uh, I think... A, a, I th- a, a, many places in the United States are not feeling like, you know, mortally at da- in danger, but some places they are. And, and I think that, especially what you're saying, ideologically, they really, really are under threat. Like maybe no one wants to hurt you physically, but people want to shut you down intellectually. And, and that's not good either. It's and not it's, a sweet it's, uh, time anymore. It's a shocking it's changed. situation. It's yeah. changed. And we have to look at it in the eyes. And maybe, maybe a part of it is that Hashem is uh, opening up the doors for more uh, of, of a connection to Jews to Eretz Israel. Uh, buy that apartment, you right. know, send send your kids here, that kind of thing. Well, I really want to bless Israel then. I mean, if, if these if these doors to these great institutions are shutting on us, then it has to be that, that it's our time to like surge forward. Like there there's not gonna we're not just we can't just leave these people in a vacuum. We have to be able to provide for them. Um, and I really hope that Israel is able to provide for them uh, fiscally and and intellectually and academically. I hope that we make a big leap. Marco, we have uh, more to talk about today, and we have a wonderful show ahead. First thing, it's so great to have you on the show. Thank you, Malka. Uh, we have, uh, I want to thank you, Chavit Seidman, Moshe Herman, Ben Bresky, Tabitha, and Lewin were live to, uh, of helping me out and making the show go out to the world. You guys are an awesome team. Bless you. Uh, we also have uh, uh, our intrepid reporter, Ben Bresky, who went out there to talk with another friend of mine, Yitzhak Meir Malik, as a musician. But more than that, he's been making music for soldiers. He's been going out to army bases. And Ben Bresky talked to him about what's going on on those army bases. How's the music, which is not a small thing today, how's the music affecting the mood of the IDF and therefore of the nation? Ben Bresky, take it away. This is a moment in Jewish history. Musicians have performed on army bases throughout Israel's many conflicts. This week, I interviewed Yitzhak Meir Malik, who has been singing to soldiers for the past 20 years, and has a new project called Notes of Strength. He discusses his thoughts on the current situation and compares it to his experiences during the Second Lebanon War of 2006. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. It's always great to be with you. Okay, now I want to know about Notes of Strength, but first, where are you from and how long have you been performing at army bases? I'm originally from New York. I moved to the Holy Land, Israel, alone when I was 17. I began performing for the IDF at the age of 18, and I've been doing it for 20 years now, thank God. It's really incredible. It began in the old city of Jerusalem, 
On the Rooftop by Aban Pamela Clayman by the organization Thank Israeli Soldiers and slowly spread. Eventually, I was hired by the army themselves and began playing on bases, kind of in a chaplain position, even though I'm not an official rabbi. And I was doing around four bases a week, or four gedudim, four units a week, four performances a week for the IDF. And thank God by now I've played for over 100,000 IDF soldiers. When I began performing for soldiers in the old city of Jerusalem, I did it in collaboration with my project entitled The Jewish Unity Project. The Jewish Unity Project aims to unite the diverse nation of Israel through reminding each and every one of us that we do not need to agree in order to love. When this war broke out, it became abundantly clear to me that there are two needs that needed to be filled. And number one was that the soldiers are coming back to base after crazy missions and they need their morale boosted. The second thing that I found as a fellow musician was that the war pretty much destroyed the entertainment industry and there weren't many concerts. So I began fundraising in order to pay bands to perform for soldiers on base and to boost their morale. They say kill two birds with one stone. I guess what I'm talking about here is hatching two eggs with one incubator, producing great life and giving the troops the love that they need. Now, what's it like to perform on an army base? I mean, some of these bases may be in dangerous areas and you go to some place in the middle of nowhere. Is there a stage? Is there electricity? <laughs> I can give you three examples, three interesting things that happened recently. I'm actually going back down to Otif Aza, to the Gaza Strip tonight to perform for soldiers on base. First time I went down to the Gaza Strip, on the way out, they did not give us an escort. The IDF, they escorted us in. We needed an escort to get in because it was literally driving over sand dunes in between blockades built on sand dunes. I could not believe what effort it took to get in. The amount of tanks that we saw, the D9, these humongous bulldozers, <laughs> so strong. Seeing this might and seeing this force will blow your mind. It took tremendous effort to get in, and they said we didn't need an escort to get out. So we drove out, and we lost our way. <laughs> and we found ourselves somewhere in between the bases and Gaza. We finally found a fence after maybe 15 minutes of driving around looking for a way out of these sandy paths surrounded by bushes and trees. We found the fence. We realized the fence was closed. Up drives a car, and they roll down their windows, checking us out with their jaws dropped and they're like you guys are on the wrong side of the fence and we're like we know how do we get out they said if you drive straight you might hit Bayeri. and we're like oh my gosh Bayeri, there was just a massacre there anyways there was not incredible usage of gps and maps down there because the idf literally restructured the whole entire area and sometimes turn off the gps so we had to use a regular map to get out and thank god we did but there was a half an hour where our hearts were in our mouths. So that's one story that happened down there. Another interesting thing, we were back down in the Otef for a different time on the Gaza Strip. And this time we were performing for San Khanim for paratroopers. There was all of these tents set up with screens inside. And while we were playing, someone came over and said, we need you guys to lower the volume for a few minutes. We're on a negotiations phone call with hostages. Couldn't believe it. And I didn't know that was going on, literally where we were playing. And so we lowered the music and eventually they said, okay, done deal. And we, you know, we can make, put the music back on. Surrounded by tents. The scene is loud, loud noises. There's explosions. There's drones flying overhead. There's airplanes, helicopters. There's battlefield illumination lights in the sky. Another time we went to this tank parking lot along the Gaza border. We set up the sound system. This time there was electricity. All of a sudden, someone comes and starts hanging balloons between two tanks and then puts up a sign that says, 
will you marry me in Hebrew? And then rolls out a red carpet. <laughs> and next thing I know, everyone's over there. And it was an engagement. And a soldier asked his now fiance to marry him. And she said yes. And that was really beautiful. How would you compare this from the beginning in October till now we're already in December? I'll tell you what, in general, I feel that people begin to become a little bit numb or they lose the feeling that they had when this originally began. But I think it's very important not to forget what happened and what we're fighting for. Now, how important it is that we sometimes know when to stop and sometimes we know when not to stop. How important it is that we go all the way. The feeling of the Chayilim, their morale is high, thank God, and it has a lot to do with notes of strength and has a lot to do with coming and boosting the morale and everyone who's sending support. We just played for a regiment and we went up north. They were stationed for 58 days straight without a break. And they got two days break and they requested that we come make a barbecue, make a concert. The love these guys are getting is beyond. And this kind of thing only happens inside of Israel. You've been doing this for about 20 years, and I'm curious, how does this compare to the Second Lebanon War? There was also like many wars in between with Gaza. How do you feel after all these years? Yeah, I can tell you that in the Second Lebanon War, my friend Michael Levine, who's actually been made pretty famous as the token lone American soldier who gave his life, who passed away fighting for us in Lebanon, I was extremely shooken up by that because, you know, we kind of made Aliyah together. We moved to Israel together. I bawled so hard at his funeral, and I think there's even a video you could see of him carrying his casket, and I'm there walking along, trying to help out, and and crying so hard, and I think that that hit really close to home. That kind of thing, hitting close to home, happened tenfold during this war because there was so many tragedies, and the veracity of these tragedies, of these massacres, it really just hit close to home for everyone. And I think that's a big difference here is that the whole entire nation is affected. And while, yes, there was an operation in Gaza in 2009 and 2014, and we did go play for the troops down there, it is nothing like it is now where all of the residents of the South have been cleared out. Meanwhile, back then, they were not cleared out of their homes. And I think there's a tremendous understanding now that we need to be thinking about our security in a whole other light and our protection over world opinion. And I pray that we can take our good intentions and put them into action. This has been a moment in Jewish history. For more information on Notes of Strength, you can email notesofstrength at gmail.com, where you can send an actual note to an Israeli soldier. Thank you to Yitzhak Mayer Malik. Thank you to Yishai Fleischer. Thank you to all the listeners. And Shalom. Thank you, Ben. Wow, Ben always has really interesting segments. That's right, he does. And Ben Bresky, thank you for bringing uh, the music of what's happening in the, in the IDF and in Israel today. Uh, it's given us strength as well. Rabbi Shimshon Nadel is also with us this week, and he's got a segment on uh, whether ultra-Orthodox Torah students should be drafted into the army or not. That's the question. And right now, because so many more people now, I, I, I guess somebody sent me a photo of an ultra-Orthodox Hasidic man with a big streimel and, 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 a, and a big M16 hanging off his back. 
And so there's this question mark, and the, the ultra-Orthodox are, are asking themselves, should they be more involved in physical defense if they're already involved in Torah defense, or should they be involved in more physical defense? Uh, defense? So Rabbi Shimshon Nadel uh, from Yerushalayim joins us with those thoughts. Shalom Yishai. Since the outbreak of the war, there has been an outpouring of support for the IDF from the Haredi community, with many young men seeking to join the army or participate in the war effort. In a press briefing at the beginning of the war, the IDF spokesperson's unit stated, quote, we are seeing a growing trend of members of the Haredi public submitting requests to be drafted and volunteer in the IDF. More than 2,000 inquiries have been received from members of the Haredi public so far. And in the weeks since, many more young Haredi men have drafted into the IDF. The sense of unity today in Israel is tangible, with groups providing food, clothing, religious articles, and other vital supplies for our holy soldiers. But in September, just a few short weeks before the war, there were protests in Jerusalem surrounding a new draft law, which would exempt yeshiva students from serving the IDF. Haredi parties threatened to dissolve the coalition if their demands were not met. Exemptions for yeshiva students has long been a sore topic since Israel's Supreme Court declared the Tal law unlawful in February of 2012, undoing the decades-long status quo whereby full-time yeshiva students were exempt from service in the IDF. Advocates of maintaining the status quo argue that those studying Torah provide a spiritual protection for the state of Israel and that Jewish law allows for the exemptions of yeshiva students. But does Jewish law really allow for the exemption of yeshiva students from army service? The Mishnah in the 8th chapter of Sota states, In a Melchemet Mitzvah, a mandatory war, quote, All go out to battle, even a groom from his room and a bride from her wedding canopy. Invoking the book of Yoel by mentioning bride and groom, the Mishnah expresses a sense of urgency and the necessity for everyone's involvement and participation. And while many explain that women are exempt from combat, they are nevertheless obligated to assist in the war effort. The Rambam defines a milchemet mitzvah, a mandatory war, as, quote, war against the seven nations, war against Amalek, and assisting Israel from the hand of the enemy who comes up against them. Unfortunately, today we find ourselves embroiled in a milchemet mitzvah, a mandatory war, a national security situation which threatens our very existence and demands everyone's participation. Those who seek exemption from serving in the IDF argue that Torah-tan o manutan. Torah study is their sole occupation. They point to a passage at the very end of the Rambam's laws of Shemitah and Yovel, where the Rambam writes that the tribe of Levi was exempt from going off to war as they are the army of Hashem, so to speak. As the spiritual leaders of the Jewish people, they do not inherit a portion in the land and their material needs are provided for. The Rambam continues and writes that any individual whose spirit moves him can devote himself solely to Torah study, just like the tribe of Levi. Divorced of all material concerns and free from the burden of army service, such an individual is consecrated, quote, as the holy of holies. But this passage is difficult, as commentaries struggle to find a Talmudic source for the Rambam's ruling. Some point to Tractate Nidarim, where our patriarch Avraham, is criticized for drafting Torah scholars in the War of the Four Kings against the Five, or Tractate Sota, which relates how King Asa was punished for mobilizing Torah scholars. Also difficult, the Rambam himself rules that even a bride and groom must assist in the war effort. 
And by suggesting that Torah scholars can look to their brethren for financial support, the Rambam appears to contradict what he writes in his commentary to Avot and in his laws of Torah study, where he decries those who rely upon others for their livelihood. Analyzing this passage in an article which appeared in the Torah journal Tradition in 1981 entitled The Ideology of Hezder, Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein questioned just how many people would fit into the Rambam's criteria and asked, who can, quote, confront a mirror and tell himself that he ought not go to the army because he is Kodesh Kodoshim, Sanctum Sanctorum, in the Rambam's terms? It would appear that the Rambam's ruling is not the rule, but the exception to the rule. His allowance is reserved for the select few who are able to devote themselves solely and wholly to the service of God, exempting entire segments of the population, entire swaths of the population from army, army service and from pursuing a parnassah, a livelihood, is certainly not what the Rambam intended. Additionally, the mitzvot of saving life, pikuach nefesh, and lo ta'amod al dam re'echa, do not stand by while your fellow's blood is being shed, obligate one to save and protect Jewish life. The Rambam writes in his Laws of Shabbat, quote, it is, a man, it is mandatory for every Jew who is able to come and assist his brethren under siege and save them from the hand of the Gentiles on Shabbat. Here, the Rambam does not allow for any exemptions or exceptions. While some authorities like Rabbi Yitzchak Halevi Herzog, former chief rabbi, Rabbi Tzvi Pesach Frank, Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Charlap, and Rabbi Eliezer Waldenberg allowed for exemption of yeshiva students in the early days of statehood, Rabbi Shlomo Yosef Zevin challenged them. And in an article, which was originally published anonymously in 1948, he wrote the following. He asked, from what source do you derive that Torah scholars are exempt from participating in a Melchemet mitzvah, assisting Israel from the hand of the enemy who comes up against them, who threaten to destroy them, heaven forbid? To understand those who ruled against drafting yeshiva students, one must appreciate the state of religious life in the young country after the Holocaust when so much Torah had been lost. Those studying full-time were charged with the task of rebuilding Torah here in Israel. When Rabbi Avram Yeshaya Karlitz, the famed Chazon Ish, together with other leading rabbis, reached a compromise with David Ben-Gurion to provide exemptions for yeshiva students, only some 400 students were exempted and writing about a milchemet mitzvah. The Chazon Ish himself recognized that, quote, if there is a need for them, they must come to the aid of their brethren. In recent decades, those 400 exemptions have grown exponentially. Moshe's rebuke of the tribes of Reuven and God, shall your brothers go out to battle while you sit here? In Bamidbar, chapter 32, resonates with those who see the imbalance in the current situation. And for those concerned about their spiritual life in the army, Hezder and Nachal Haredi units have long proven that a healthy balance between Torah study and army service can indeed be achieved. As the Midrash states, the sword and the sefer, the book, descended from heaven bound up together. After all, the Hashmonaim, our mighty Maccabees, were also Kohanim Gedolim high priests, and great Torah scholars. Our hope and fervent prayer is to see the fulfillment of the prophecy of Yeshayahu, that the nations of the world shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But until then, those young men from the Haredi community seeking to draft into the IDF 
should be applauded and encouraged. Wishing all of the listeners blessings from Jerusalem. Rabbi Shimshon, thank you so much for being with us and elucidating the Torah perspective uh, on, uh, on who should be fighting in this war. Uh, and, if, and if Torah is also a warrior physically uh, in our time. Uh, Maka, I want to thank all the good folks that make the show possible, including, including JNS.org and JewishPress.com, which I highly recommend you choose as your, as your news media outlets. I want to thank uh, HebronFund.org for defending the Jewish community of Hebron. Right now is the time to defend us even more uh, because we need it. We have a lot of soldiers. We have a lot of people. Uh, so help us out right now, uh, hebronfund.org. Learn more about Hebron first. Come on a visit when, when, when you can uh, and be part of the building process, the rebuilding process. Uh, and the Temple Mount is still open, so check out highonthehard.com and the folks that help us get up there in holiness, uh, following the laws, but, but getting closer to, to God. I also want to thank the good uh, food makers, Chaim, at, um, at prohibitionpickle.co.il. And now's a great time to send a, a gift of food uh, to families and to people that need it right now. A lot of people need it. And uh, he makes great stuff and, and gives people, just like this Hanukkah light, he gives people a little bit of light in their life through delightful and holy food, prohibitionpickle.co.il. Uh, and our good friends at uh, retrowatchguy.com. That's right. It's, it's always time for a retro watch. Be'amim ha'em. Basman Hazeh, right? <laughs> in those days in our time at retrowatchguy.com and, uh, and our good friends at uh, Kosher Cycle Tours. Get, book it now because there's going to be a lot more Jewish land yes, uh, to cycle I'm... through through Gaza uh, with Kosher Cycle Tours. Malka, I, had a, I, had a, I was on a Florida trip for two and a half days, but I had the opportunity to be with an incredible podcast called uh, From the Inside Out with Rivka and, and Edda, and uh, it was at a beautiful apartment, beautiful taping, and they really asked me tough questions. And uh, this is a really well-known podcast in the Jewish world, and Jewish women world especially. Um, a Chabad friend of mine called me, he's like, I saw that you were on the girls podcast. <laughs> it's well-known. It's called From the Inside Out, and I had the honor and pleasure uh, to be on it. So let's uh, splice it into our show today. Uh, let's stick in uh, my talk which is really all about uh, enough uh, kowtowing uh, to the world and, and how Jewish strength is really the only solution. Strength in every way, including spiritually, of course. So here I am on From the Inside Out. Welcome, Yishai. Shalom. Thanks for being here. We're very touched and honored that you made the time on your short trip to the United States of America from Israel to be with us today. We're looking forward to tapping into bravery and connecting to Israel, and uh, we appreciate the bravery that you have in living in um, Samaria and uh, Yuda and the settlements, and we we and for being the spokesman for Hebron and for being an advocate for the Jewish people of Israel, and so we want to hear from you how you experience bravery, how you tap into that, and. Um, how you do what you do. So we want to start off by asking you where you were on October 7th. And First thing, thank you very much for uh, hosting me here. It's a lot of fun and it's great to be in, in Florida also. Uh, I, there's a great Jewish vibe going on here. Uh, a lot of people told me that the vibe was good, but then after COVID it became much bigger. So it's great to be here. And this is like a kind of, you know, it used to be said that it's an area code of New York. 
but now I feel like it's an area code of Israel. Uh, we don't have area codes, but but it's uh, we do have area codes. What am I saying? It's like a it's like a it's like a small it's just we have three the palm numbers. trees we have two and numbers. the, the nice right. weather. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great here, and there's a lot of there's a lot of strong people here. A lot of strong people that want to be connected. So that's that's a lot of fun. And I was here to receive an ambulance for uh, for Hebron, and that was really meaningful to me. October sixth, uh, October sixth. Also known, October seventh, October sixth. October, October, where I, October sixth was 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 a great like relaxing day. It was uh, it was uh, it was Oshana Rabbah the day before, um, and I had just completed a wonderful uh, set of holidays. Rosh Hashanah was fabulous. I was on uh, the temp- I was on the Mount of Olives where I used to live in a neighborhood called Malaze Team, and uh, I went to the Temple Mount. And uh, it was a wonderful time. And Yom Kippur, I was in Gush Etzion and Efrat. And then I had a, a beautiful, my family had a beautiful sukkah and uh, all of Sukkot. So we had th- these, these just wonderful holidays. And it felt like, oh my gosh, here comes the last day. Oh, and on, on the 6th was a big Hoshana Rabbah Hallel, Rabbi Shlomo Katz. No, actually, I went earlier that morning to Marat Marat Machpela. I went earlier that morning and at at sunrise and oh, and wow. it was just fabulous fabulous there was a sukkah right next to uh, the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs uh, the marat machpela and just everything felt so good i had my good friend alex Trayman and his family come to me for for the last days uh for simchas torah and everything was going great and and in the morning like it's six in the morning i heard these booms i heard these booms they were loud. I thought to myself, it must be the quarries not so far away from me that I must be working. I was like, it's it's Shabbat. No, they don't usually work. I don't know. Anyway, I had a cup, made myself a cup of tea, went outside uh, with my friends, and we were about to go to shul. We actually prayed Chabad, uh, which is downstairs from my house. And uh, suddenly we hear the siren. The minute we heard the siren, it was clear that something was up. We understood that the booms were not just booms. And then it started dawning. Then at about 10 o'clock, I went down to shul. And the shul, there was a police officer who was also in a, a police intelligence, an Arabic speaker. And he was just laying it all out for us on the phone. The phones were already out. We knew there was an emergency. So we, we already like switched gears and understood that things were, were phone-like, meaning to say not Shabbat-like. And that's it. And, and information started coming in. I knew a lot by 10 a.m., Litsari, to my to my dismay, looking back at it, I only wish I knew that the fight was still on. Right. Had I known that, the davening, the prayer would have been different. I feel bad that we prayed with sadness, but we would have prayed even harder had we known that the fight was still very much on at that very moment. So I'm a little bit, you know, I'm a little upset about that. But uh, that's what it was, you know. And then we started understanding the the colossal ramifications, the the how big it was. It took, a, of course, a few days to really see the picture, and the picture is still really coming out. And the and the uh, the uh, the ripples are going to be felt for a long, long time. Uh, but that's what uh, October seventh, Sechastora this year was. Wow, it's interesting because you heard the, the booms, but didn't really understand what how bad it was or how huge it was having lived in Israel for so many years because it seemed to be a peaceful time where it's not the first thing that you're thinking about which is not a bad thing because Israel was you know had not has not been under attack in in this way for I mean since <laughs> for a long time but um, could you tell us give us some background you know how did you end up in Israel um why did you go put yourself in the line of danger by choice with your family? Could you give us a little bit of background? Tell us about that. I will. I will do that right now. I just want to make one point too, which is 
to say it was a peaceful time is 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 a little not accurate because you have to remember that in fact 35 people had been murdered by jihadism in Israel in this year prior to this event. So we were ready on guard and we knew that things were bad. We knew that the jihadist wave was 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 hitting us uh and uh, it it was considered one of the worst years before uh before the October 7th attacks. Right. So it was already it's not like there wasn't tension. There was a lot of tension. Uh but you're right we didn't expect maybe this, you know, this level of of a strike. Um I was born in uh, I have I have a kind of a a complex and long history. I, my parents are Russian Jews. So I'm a Russian speaker actually. Uh my parents Ada's parents are Russian. Yeah. And cool. my grandmother was Russian. That's right. Chabad is Russian, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh I I was born actually in Haifa, Israel. My parents moved from the Soviet Union in in 72 to Israel. And they were not religious. And uh, where are they from? Which which Leningrad, Saint oh, Petersburg. Oh, my grandmother was from Leningrad. And I, oh, I got must to have known each other. I actually went to see one time with my mom. Went to see uh, where the Alter Rebbe was in prison. That whole story. Uh, by the way, he was in prison for supporting Eretz Yisrael. People kind of say it differently sometimes, but the answer is that that he was actually supporting Eretz Yisrael. Was a very important thing for the founding rabbi of of the Lubavitch dynasty. Uh, the support of Eretz Yisrael. He made that into a big thing. Uh, in any case, and he sat for prison in, in prison for that. My parents came out in 72. Uh, I was born in Israel. I was actually born the day that the, uh, that the Entebbe plane was hijacked. No way. That exact day? That day, yeah. Um, and uh, when the plane was hijacked, so, so that, what I think... What date was that? Uh, 26th of June, 1976. And... Um, the rescue was uh, was was yeah. uh, was seven days later, uh, but but in any case, we should see such a rescue. Amen. That was a great rescue, and you have to remember that the story of uh, of Entebbe or Miftsayonatan or the different names that it has uh, was was coming after the great pain of the Yom Kippur War, and there had been some depression in the in the in the land, and and that moment was a was a was a relighting a kind of Hanukkah moment uh, in Israel. In any case, I was born there. When I was eight, my parents decided to move to uh, America, and we moved to Wayne, New Jersey. Uh, Wayne, New Jersey, a nice, indescript, you know, quiet, right. good town in, in America. You know, I never felt one one days of anti-Semitism. Wow, uh, not one time. Just a nice, nice American town in New Jersey. When I was seventeen, though, oh my, my parents started sending me to Jewish school, and that changed our whole family makeup. We became more from more Jewish, more 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 observant. Um, more practicing. And then at the age of 17, I said, you know, I've, I've always wanted to go back and serve in the army. And Hashem made it such that uh, it was time for me to leave high school and time to get back to Eretz Yisrael. And that's what I did. And Hashem really helped me. And he sent me to a, a yeshiva that I had never really, I didn't know this world. I went to a Hezder yeshiva. This happened, it's, it's hard to explain, but basically my rabbi, Rabbi Lukens, in, in Fresh Yeshiva High School, sent me to this yeshiva. And it's a really high-level, very Rambam-oriented, Hezder yeshiva, considered one of the, one of the like, it's like a Yale-type school. If, if Gush Etzion is like the Harvard, then this is like the <laughs> Yale. And I, and I went uh, to this yeshiva, and then, I, and then I stayed with the yeshiva and went to the paratroopers. Uh, and the paratroopers, and that's something that I always wanted to do, and I wanted to be a paratrooper. And so, uh, so that was a great schut. It was a great merit to be a paratrooper with my, with my yeshiva. I got injured in Lebanon, 
and uh, with by a roadside bomb from the folks at Hezbollah that we know to this very day. Uh, that was 20 years ago. And, and um, do you still have effects from that today? No, I have a little scar, thank God. But uh, it uh, it it broke my shoulder blade, and uh, it could have it could have it could have been much worse. But uh, I was spared, and. Um, I went actually back to America after that. Um, and I was in America for another seven years at Yeshiva University and at Cardozo Law School. That's where I met my beloved Malka. And that's where we, uh, we decided to get married. We were both, uh, now I'm going to use a term that is sometimes understood differently by different peoples. We were both Zionist. Uh, what we mean by that is not secular Zionism that's anti-religious. What we mean by that is what used to be called in the Second Temple period, Shivat Zion. The return to Zion, mm -hmm. the ingathering, mm -hmm. and so we were involved in that. Actually, Malka was actually pro-Israel, as opposed to Zionist. I was Zionist; she was pro-Israel, i.e., an American Jew supported Israel. But I uh, convinced her. I told her, "If you want to, if you want to be with me, then then I'm moving to Israel. That's where I'm going." And she said, "Okay." And so, um, and so we moved to Israel. We we lived in Beit El, sometimes known as Beis Kel, right? Mm -hmm. Beit El, and uh, that's that's in in southern Samaria. That's where and what made you move there? The, the uh, company that you all read, the, the news organization called Arutz Sheva, yeah. Israel National News. Yeah. I got a job there oh. at a law school. So and there was one simple demand, move to Beit El. Right. I'm like, what? What's Beit El? <laughs> I never even heard it. Like, I don't right, know. I read right, it in right. the Torah. I don't know what that is. But it's a town. Right. It's a beautiful, beautiful town. Really gorgeous town and a very spiritual town. Well, it's a holy, holy place. It is. It really is. It is to this very. It's is, a holy what happened place. happened on Betkel? That is where. That's the dream of the ladder. That's this week's Torah yes, portion. Yes, it's this week's Torah portion. That's right. That's Vayetze. That's yes, Vayetze. Yes, Yaakov's dream with the ladder. The dream yes. of the ladder, which I think is, by the way, an iconic image, and that one that you know you have beautiful stuff in the house. I always think that there should be the, the, the image of the ladder. It's a very Jewish image. Connection between heaven and earth, and also what a Jew is supposed to be: feet on the ground, head in the sky. Okay, we're grounded with great ideas. Uh, grounded on, 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 on how to get things done in this world, but with, with high ideas, high-minded high minded ideas. In any case, we moved to Beit El. Then later on, we lived on the Mount of Olives for seven years. And now we moved down to Gush Etzion, which is Judea, because of my work in Hebron, which is nearby. So That's the stuff. Right. So, so you moved there because of your job. And then did you end up becoming passionate about being in the settlements? It's very good. It's a very interesting thing. My first passion when I was living in, in New York City was Aliyah. I was trying to help American Jews think about Aliyah. So we made an organization. It was called Kuma. It is called Kuma. And in English, it was called Arise, Americans Return to Zion. Uh, that was like the first passion. And then when we got to Beit El, we started becoming infused with the fight for Jewish rights in Judea and Samaria. Uh, and that was not as clear to me in America. And it's harder to understand. It's a more technical Israeli thing. But I started understanding the issues. And I started understanding the pressure that Israel was under to relinquish and surrender land to the enemy. And we started understanding how important it was to fight for Jewish rights in Judea and Samaria. Now, we had gotten married. I forgot to I skipped a little point. We got married in Hebron in 2002. Oh, that's so nice. When I was just there, I saw a wedding happening. Right. Well, at the time, nobody was getting married there because there was an intifada. And when the intifada was, was still raging, we decided to get married there. It was a big deal. 
And in the end, uh, my people in Hebron credited me with restarting the tradition of Jewish weddings at the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs. Oh, wow. And it's still quite a, a thing. We have, we have quite an industry of people getting married in the summer uh, outside yeah, of the tomb. I was there in the summer and I yeah. saw outside a whole chuppah. We have a chuppah, we have a whole system worked out, and people do it. And people come from all over Israel and the world to get married in Marat because you're getting married with your Bubby and Zadie, with your grandparents, yeah. with the founders of the peoplehood. That's what it's about. It's also, it also goes back to an, an issue that's very dear to my heart, which is it's mothers and fathers. Marat is not the tomb of the patriarchs. We got we to gotta erase that business. It's tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs. That's its unique selling point. There's no other place in the world that has mothers and fathers uh, 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 honored and buried together like that. So we got married there around after Arut Sheva Hashem made it that back to Hebron uh, uh, maybe my maybe this the merit of getting married there back in 2002 uh, helped me get a find a job uh, in Hebron and I am today the spokesman of, of this amazing community are you afraid ever or do you have any fear or does your family ever have fear over the years living there all right so now uh, before I answer that technically I'll answer that philosophically I don't use that word. I try not to use that word. The word fear? Fear. I try not to use it with regarding to anything that we experience. Uh, it's a philosophical, it's a, it's a little war that I have, which is I don't want to give them fe the fear because that's exactly what they want. They want to make us afraid. Let's make a definition. What is terrorism? Terrorism is the broadcasting of fear. They want to spread fear. They want to seem scary. They want to make you afraid to come to Eretz Israel. They want to make you afraid to come to Hebron. That is their modus operandi. That is what they want to achieve. Fear. And I deny them that. I deny them that and I go to, I go to the point of not even using that word. So I could use the word tactical situation. I could even say it's dangerous. Because that's an objective you know, situation out there. But I try not to say, I'm afraid, we're afraid. And I, I don't even let my kids say that. We just don't, don't use that word. And how do your kids react? My kids are tough, but that doesn't mean there aren't situations that are tactical and, and, uh, and you have to be quite aware. Uh, there's bad guys out there. There's bad guys out there. So um, do you have that fear, not for them, but for your kids? I don't use that word. Right, right. so it's just not on your radar. I just don't use that word. Right. That doesn't mean that I don't act defensively sometimes yeah. and tactically and with awareness. You see, I'm dancing around it because yes, I... because that's I, great. And yeah. do you, I think that's a great... I mean, I like the tactic, but do you... Um, do you feel that everyone around you has that same has that same vision as you or that same feeling as you? So there's... Contrary to the word fear, the, the other side of that is toughness. Right. We have an ethos of being tough. That's, a, that's an ethos in our, in our, right, in our right. day to day life. Right. And that replaces that. Like when you practice, it's, and it's not something that comes naturally. It's not a natural occurring thing. It's like you wouldn't you call yourself a tough person. It's something you have to work on. Right. You could be born less and more with it. And, and, but but you, anybody will tell you, any person, any mom having children, any, any, any businessman doing work, it's, uh, it's it's something you learn you develop. learn to be tough you develop it you have to work on it constantly yeah, but you do see some people are tougher than others you know i i see all kinds of all kinds of tough people uh and i i think jews are generally tough I'm uh, yeah then it's an it's a tough nation and if it's not tough in one way it's tough in another way and uh and uh you know i'm also i do also fundraising so i meet with a lot of you know wealthy people they're all tough 
They're all people who, you know, did something in life. Right. Uh, and I actually, I actually, I, I really do have a lot of respect for people, but a toughness that you were talking about right now is something to develop. Right. And, and how did you develop it? I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it all comes together. I'm, my parents are Russian Jews. They are, they were, they were, they were refuseniks. So they had to fight the KGB and stuff. And then, you know, um, I was born, as I said, on, on the Entebbe thing. I think something, there you was know, something in the air, something in the air. <laughs> and then, um, and then, and then moving to America and, you know, the, just overcoming that challenge. Just you, you grew up, you grew up with that. I don't know. Uh, my my parents sent me to martial arts, which I very much recommend. I think that that actually does something when you're a kid and you are raised in karate, kung fu, taekwondo. It doesn't matter. That 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 hardens you. That it's a discipline. It's a discipline. Torah is a discipline, but it's important to discipline the kids in Torah, not to. Not to just say it's time to learn Torah. It's like the, it's the, there's a discipline. Uh, and we call it amal. Like it's got to be a discipline. I'm working on that with my kids these days, with myself as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, martial arts thing. It's it's. Uh, I saw somewhere it said a warrior is someone who's always prepared for battle with no plan to fight. Right. It's like if you have the strength, then maybe fear doesn't have to be in the picture because you you're prepared. It's just a, a tact. I I, right. I kind of like that. That's a great. Like that's that. a great phrase. I was yeah. more in like to feel the fear, do it anyway. But you're kind of like you've taken it one step ahead. It's like no, let's just take fear out of the picture and just be, you know, tactical and and just do what we need to do. Right. Easier said than done. Fear. <laughs> it's, right. Well, I can't say you can't feel it, but you have to know what it is. You have to recognize right. it, and then you have to you have to you know. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. Right. You have to. So. I was just gonna say. Uh, but I think you said something that's very important, which I, which I was referring to in the in the in the martial arts. The word warrior. It's a question if a child, a girl or boy, wakes up and, and lives with that consciousness, you're a warrior. Even the word, think about that word. It's, it's a word that we kind of use, warrior, I'm ready for battle. I, in Chabad, I like very much Tzivas Hashem. I like that. You're in the army. And, and, and Chabad has got that. There's, that's one of the uh, themes in the Chabad psychology, which is like, we're, we're, we're fighters out there. We're right. soldiers out there. Uh, so... You put that into a child's mind. I think that I think that the martial arts does that. The word martial means, you know, warlike. You know, ability to do that. And so, um, yeah, you grow up with that. Then, of course, they send you to the paratroopers. That does a lot. Yeah. Uh, to this day, I have some even bad habits. For example, I eat too fast. I'm one of these people that eats too fast. That came from the paratroopers. We ate quietly. They didn't let us even talk while eating, and you eat fast, and you go to your thing. Uh, so it's a it's it's a mindset. And then when it comes to Eretz Yisrael, it also depends who your heroes are in the, in the Tanakh. I'm very, we talked before the show, the Tanakh lives in my head a lot. And so, like, for me, Kalev Ben Yifune and, and those type of people, David Melech, they're very real. And so, okay, I, I look to them as, as, uh, as, as um, inspiration. Yeah. That's how you develop that, that, that toughness. There are very tough folks in, in, in Israel. They're really, really tough folks. Get out there, build a house in the middle of nowhere. I know them, right. but I even know a, a nice, wealthy lady from uh, from Northern California, who is like, I'm building a house here in Bat Ayin, and she just like, there's people right. like that. There's, there's, the Jews are tough. Well, how do you balance the responsibility that you have, and you're probably subjected to actual real danger? Not probably you are, um, with you know preserving the safety and security of your of your family and your kids. Like, how do you do that? Well, 
look, some of it is practical steps. You know, you know the, the windows are rockproof. You carry a pistol. You carry a gun. Uh, those are basic things. You, you, you learn some stuff. Then, of course, you have emunah and faith. And then we have a mechanism called the State of Israel, which is supposed to provide security, uh, which is to fight off the bad guys. Is it doing a great job doing it? The, the, the jury's out. So, some ways uh, some ways that we're doing an amazing job because Jews can live in Eretz Israel, only due to the fact that there's this this army, Besiat of the Shemar, with the help of God, but, but there's an army that defends you. Um, look, you may not walk right into a big Arab town, but at the same time, you, you can't let them bully you. And that's what they want to achieve. They want to bully us off our land. That's their whole thing. And we can't do that. That is the fight of this generation, is the fight for the land of Israel, for Eretz Yisrael. It's not a fight in every generation. A thousand years ago, it might not have been a fight. There were always some people in Eretz Yisrael that held on. But the fight in this generation is for Eretz Yisrael to hold on to this land, to push back on the bad guys. That's the thing. That's what we right. got to do. And, um, and so we're called to do it. And I'll tell you, I support... Uh, in, in different ways, the Jews that are out there in the front lines, the, everybody talks about the soldiers. The soldiers are very in right now. But there are folks that are not soldiers. They're Hilltop youth. They're, 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 they're kids or they're folks that, that, that take a Hilltop and, and make sure that it's ours and not theirs and stop the takeover. Right. That, that's, the the Lubavitcher Rebbe was loved and, and supported. Um, those, those, you living there. You that's living right. there up in the settlements and... and Stopping, doing the best that you can to make sure that Israel is ours and it's not given to the Palestinians. Right. Um, my the, father was actually, the Rebbe uh, empowered him and asked him to be the representative of Shlomo Sa'aretz in Israel. That's right. For uh, making sure that land wasn't given to the Palestinians. And we used to go visit the settlements and, and instilled in us this strong um, pride in, in you living where you are. That's and right. We thank you for doing that. It's a big schut, and more and more people are coming. Uh, and uh, Rabbi Gudnik was uh, was very important in that. And 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 this Chabad does a great job in Hebron especially. Yes. In other places as well, but Hebron Chabad has got a very deep connection to Hebron. It's a two hundred year connection from like eighteen oh seven. It's a it's a very deep connection that they have. They found their home in Hebron. Right. And I always I always tell people that if you want to like go to a Chabad house and talk about what I call Zionism, all you have to do is mention Hebron, and they, get, they, they light right up. We right. have to hold on to yeah. the land, we've got to fight for it, and, 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 and they understand that. Look, Eretz Yisrael... What are some of the other um, names of, the, of cities? That what? In, in Judea and Samaria? Yeah. Well, uh, that's, that's interesting that you asked that, because I have a project uh, to help with uh, Route 60. Let me take a step back. The land of Israel where the state of Israel today is on some parts of the land of Israel, uh, is uh, shaped like this. You have a coastal plain, you have the Jordan Valley, and in the middle you have a mountain range. That mountain range is the holier part of Eretz Israel. It's a mountain range. On top of that mountain range, mountain range, right on the very spine of it, there's a road called Route 60. And that road connects seven holy cities, seven biblical cities. I've been working on a project, uh, also with David Friedman, uh, Ambassador Friedman, to rename the highway to the biblical highway, Derech HaTanach. And that highway has seven holy cities. They are, from south to north, Be'er Sheva, 
That's where Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov all had prophecy. Up to Hebron, tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs. That You go up the mountain from the desert, up the mountain, you hit Hebron. From there, you drive a little bit more north, you hit Beit Lechem, Bethlehem. Uh, Beit Lechem has a twin city, which is Ephrat. Ephrata, Beit Lechem. Beit Lechem, Ephrata. I live in Ephrat. And from there, you get to Yerushalayim. So you did three holy cities, Beersheva, Hebron, Beit Lechem. Then you hit Yerushalayim, the jewel in the crown, where the two temples stood. We're working on number three. Okay, third temple. So that's Yerushalayim. Then after that, the northern side of Yerushalayim, Beit El, which is, uh, which is the dream of the ladder. Beit El, that's Yaakov's special place. Shiloh, that's where the tabernacle stood, the, the Mishkan stood for almost 400 years. That's where, uh, that's where Hannah, Slicha, had her uh, 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 prayer for Shmuel. Mm-hmm. Very famous. Yeah. Okay, Shmuel is born there, uh, from there. And then finally, Shechem. Okay, Shechem, very holy city. That's where Yosef is buried. That's where the Jews had the blessings and the curses when they came in from, Eretz, from, from Mitzrayim, uh, from the Sinai. And that is a, a very holy city. And these are seven cities, seven holy cities, biblical cities, all of them, uh, that are on this road. Beersheva, Hebron, Beit Lechem, Yerushalayim, Beit El Shiloh Shechem, on one road. We want to rename that road, just like they have here in America, Route 66, historic Route 66. We want to name it the Biblical Highway. Right, right. So was that going well? It was going, it was mm-hmm. going like gangbusters. We were about to move it forward, but... Then the war Then the, October 7th. Yeah. And, I, you know, we're all calling it October 7th. I, I wish we had a better name for it. Is it the Simchat Torah War? The word right. Simchat Torah and right. war doesn't go together. Right, right, and right. And is, right. is it... Another name I call it is the Disengagement War. yeah. Uh, another name I call it as a joke is the Amazon War because there's so much stuff being sent to Israel yeah. right now. So I call it the Amazon War, but that's just a little, a little dark humor. Okay, well, so speaking just, of which, there's yeah. wars being fought on many fronts right now um, for Israel, and there's the the actual war in yeah. that the our uh, Israeli soldiers are fighting, and then there are the wars that we're having right here in America, you the bet. media wars. And with a background in media and journalism, can you talk about the wars here in America? What war are we fighting and what are the odds here? I mean, we have media wars and like ambiguous uh, conversations. You know, there maybe we know who the enemy is here. Maybe it's not so clear. Well, it's clear it's anti-Semitism. But... It's anti-Semitism, but it's like yeah, but it's more. What is, what is the underlying? Obscure. Yeah. So tell us about your. Well, your yeah. your question is spot on. I think, in my opinion, uh, I think I think it's. Um... First thing is is to understand the enemy is smart. The enemy is serious. Respect the enemy. That's my, that's my posture. My attitude is the enemy is very smart, not joking around. They came to play. And that's an important posture because a lot of times Jews poo-poo the other side. They think they're nobodies. They think they're dumb. They have all kinds of derogatory names. Interesting. Respect the enemy. Respect the enemy. Respect them more than... In- take a posture that the enemy is smart just as smart as you, devious and cunning and serious. My, that's my whole attitude towards the enemies, and it comes back to being tactical. I don't, I don't think of them as a joke. I think of them as quite serious, maybe more ready for war than we are. Uh, um, and it could very well be that this war in Israel, this attack, was actually meant to achieve a completely different goal than people understand. It could very well be that the, that the inhumane and, and dastardly acts that they did was in order to force Israel to fight this war and then to use that moment to besmirch Israel's name throughout the world 
and to weaken its connection throughout the world, especially um, there was a budding movement called the Abraham Accords, which was going to lead to a normalization with Saudi Arabia. Israel was going to be an Abrahamic country along with its Ishmaelite Arab brothers, the cousins in, 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 uh, you know, in our family, in our broader Semitic family. This war, uh, very well thought out by the Iranians, was, uh, has thrown a wrench into that whole thing. Israel is once again isolated from the Arab world and isolated in part in the West as well. There are many countries that have, have broken diplomatic ties, especially in South American countries. And it could very well be that the point of, of this whole war was not to achieve the killing of 1,200 people. It was, it, was, it was much more to elicit a reaction from Israel, to cause it to kill a lot of uh, uh, Palestinians, Arabs, and then separate it from the other Arab countries and then cause all these problems in, in America and to, and to isolate Israel for a future uh, 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 destructive war. So these guys are smart and thought out. And we're seeing that play out here. These guys waited very much until, until the campus was ready, until the right kind of president was in power here. It wouldn't have worked under a Trump. It had to be under an Obama-Biden type of presidency. Uh, and uh, the timing was right. I'm talking about from a tactical point of view on their side. So you think they thought about all that? I think so. And that's, in any way, that's my posture. I don't, I, don't, I don't like to denigrate or belittle my enemy. I think of him as smart and, and, and very much, you know, and, and uh, Iranians are smart. They're an ancient civilization uh, known to be, you know, cunning and, and you know, chess-like. So, yeah. So, so now you're, you're fighting that. And suddenly, you know, campus is messed up. Suddenly there's all these people with the right kinds of posters, you know, saying the you know, anti-Israel things and from the river to the sea, and they're all chanting it. And suddenly they're in Congress, shutting down Congress, that yet they seem you not think, to be... You think that's smart? Like, they're not... I mean, to me, that doesn't seem smart to be chanting that and not looking at the whole picture. They are winning over a lot of young people. They they Maybe win over smart in that way. they win over Black America. They would. They, it's known that the that the young Americans see Hamas as as uh, fighting for their rights and all the stuff that they did was you know they they they, they also see the power. The violence is is there's something carnal in it all. There's something that's attractive in it all. It's not. We Jews think that like when you show what awful stuff they did, everybody's disgusted by it. No, that's a mistake. For some the, reason, they're not. There is a carnal instinct in this world. It's 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 uh, it's it's primordial. Uh, there's something about the stuff which is, and we have to understand that they're only disgusted by us going to war, but not. Though they're, they're, aren't aren't they genius like that? When they strike us and and mutilate and kill, then they still come out victorious. And then when we kill them back, we're suddenly these horrible aggressors. You see, they win on both sides. Both sides of the coin. They're very smart like that. And we have to, we have to understand that. And one more thing, and this is a final point on this, which is um, tribalism. Tribalism is a powerful instinct in humanity. We're, oh, we, we never talk about that, but they're like, you know, they are doing tribal warfare against us. I say we have to say very clearly, the, the other side of that has to be, this is our tribal lands. A different tribe is trying to do an incursion into our land. We're pushing that other tribe back. We have to talk in the language of tribalism as well. It's a very powerful language, but they are... How they, do you define tribalism? Middle East, Africa, these are the tribal peoples on their ancestral tribal lands. That's what we are. We're an ancestral tribe on our lands. A different tribe is trying to make an incursion into our land. They're creating all kinds of fake narratives. 
and we have to push them back. We have to push back on their narrative and, and, and push back on their, uh, on, on their physical takeover of our land. And uh, our governments have made the mistake of giving away our land to the enemy and giving away the narrative. They've given the narrative as though these people have some kind of right to this land. Not that, not that Palestinianism is a completely created identity, recently created in order to fight Israel, that, the, that there is no history of Palestine, and that this is historically our ancestral land, and that we're going to fight for it, and we'll never give it away. We'll never talk about dividing Jerusalem. You talk about dividing Jerusalem, you look like a, you look like a spineless nothing in the eyes of the Arab and the eyes of the world. And that's what the Rebbe meant. He said... Very carefully, listen to what he was saying. He said, not that giving away land is dangerous. Even talking about it endangers the life because it gives a, a sense that it's not our land. Yeah, and, He was absolutely right about and, that. And this is where we are now because that's of right. that. You had written on Twitter, historically Gaza is ancient Jewish land, part of the tribe of, of, of Judah. Yehuda, that's yes. right. Yes. And um, yes, I wanted you to talk. I like that you said that. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about how you felt about the great mistake of 2005 and uh, Gush Katif and your experiences witnessing the evacuation of thousands of residents. How, how did you feel? And, and what do you say about all that? And can you, can you explain a little bit about that? Maybe about both, about Sinai and about <laughs> Gush Katif so that our listeners have an understanding, so that we have an understanding of what that means, what, what happened and what that means for us today. Israel was born, Israel the state of, not the land of Israel, not the people of Israel, but the state of Israel was born in 1948. It, it won independence in a year-long war called the Independence War. But it lost a lot of land. It lost land to the Jordanians, which were British-trained, British-backed, British-led, British-armed. And uh, we lost a lot of land, including the ancestral, the, the heartland of the Holy Land, Judea and Samaria, and, we, and the Golan Heights and the Sinai. And what happened was, uh, and, and you know, forget the word Sinai for a second, uh, the word Gaza is correct. We lost Gaza to Egypt. In 1967, we had an amazing war called the Six-Day War. And those of us who think this way think it was a, a biblical war. And Hashem gave us in six days our, la our ancestral land back. Judea and Samaria, Yudan Shamron, the Golan Heights, Gaza, which is, a, which is beautiful beach land, beautiful land, beautiful beaches. And the Sinai, the Sinai Peninsula. Um, the Sinai Peninsula, if you look on the map, it really makes no sense in any other way than Israel to hold on to the Sinai Peninsula. Now here, by the way, I have a disagreement with my, some of my colleagues on the conservative right-wing side of the map, and I agree much more with the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who held, and I held, that it was wrong to give away the Sinai. In the, in the, in the 70s, uh, uh, came a process known as Camp David, Camp David process where Jimmy Carter forced uh, uh, Menachem Begin to give away the Sinai. By 1982, they had given away the Sinai to Egypt. It was a big mistake. The Sinai was never Egyptian, and the Sinai never belonged to Egypt, and the people that lived there are not Egyptian, and the whole thing is a sham. But Israel gave away a huge chunk, two-thirds of its landmass, with oil, with airfields, and with two sea lanes, controlling the sea lanes of the, of the Red Sea. Uh, later on, that process kept going through what's called the, uh, the Oslo process. And more land was given away to the Palestinian Authority, which was created out of terrorists. And here's a spoiler alert. Giving away your land to terrorists is dumb. Yes. <laughs> it's dumb. Okay? It's just plain dumb. And so that give wasn't it, smart at all. No. Now, some people think that the Sinai, and here I disagree with some people, some people think the Sinai was great. We made a peace deal with Egypt. I don't think so. 
I think that Israel, a big Israel, a strong Israel on its land, that's what brings peace. And we would have had a different kind of peace with them down the line. And they would have respected us. Instead, we became a small country again. I like Israel to be a big country, strong country, a don't mess with me country. A yeah. uh, post-Holocaust, never again, this is my land country. Yeah. Um, but but we, we, we started giving that process away. And people like myself were fighting that. Especially by the time I came of age. And uh, we had already been living in Israel. And uh, we moved to Israel in 2003. And then 2005... Ariel Sharon, one of the fathers of the settlement enterprise in Judea and Samaria, came up with this idea, or maybe Bush did, President Bush, to give away Gaza to the Arabs. Because there was, there was Jewish communities in Gaza, and there was also a lot of Arabs, and there was terrorism. They thought that maybe it would be a better idea to give it away. And we said to them, it's the stupidest idea. If you give away this land, they're going to create a terror base right here. And they said to us, no, if we give away this land, and even if they shoot one rocket, we'll smash them. And we said to them, courage does not follow cowardice. You give away this land, they're going to dig in and become a cancer for us, the jihad. And I must say, this is very important. The Arabs in Gush Katif kept saying to me, physically, they said to me, don't give away this land. You don't understand who's going to take over and destroy our life here. This place is going to turn from a heaven to a hell. That don't, Arabs, would say, Arabs would say that through the fence. I remember their fingers holding onto the fence, talking to me, saying, don't give away this land. You don't understand what's going to be here. And I said to them, of course I understand. I understand perfectly. The other guy doesn't understand. I understand perfectly. And, and, and we went down there in uh, 2005. I was sent by Ruth Sheva to, to, to cover and protest. And that's what we did. And we did our best to stop that disengagement in, in, in civil disobedience. How many and whatever of you were there? There were tens of thousands yeah. of people. We tried very hard. But uh, for, for whatever political reason or another, um, it happened. And now that's why I call this war. suffering the repercussions. That's right. That was 2005. We gave away that land. And immediately they set off on turning it into a forward jihad base. And they dug tunnels, and, and they made rockets, and they did everything to overcome the barrier between us and to turn it into what we've seen today. Now, and there's a pasuk in the Torah, it says, The land became filled with Hamas. Even underneath, the land itself became filled with Hamas. That's what we've allowed to do with our own hands. Um, and it's heartbreaking. And now, we're still not figuring it out. And the answer is so simple. Rule your land, govern your land, make sure there's no jihadism. If there are Arabs who are pro-Israel, non-jihadists, they could stay there. There's something called ger toshav, resident alien. It's a Torah term. Stay, live. As long as you respect and honor our, our government and our God and our, and our peoplehood, you could stay. Of course you could stay. How but this you, is our land. How do you land. differentiate between those, between those Arabs? It's not so hard. If you're a jihadi, we'll find you out. And if you're a non-jihadi... We'll know, we'll know quickly enough. I mean, so here in America, we're trying so desperately to have our voices heard, to have people understand what battle we're trying to fight, why we're doing this. And some people are listening, some aren't. Is this, is this battle here, battle of words, is it worth it? Like you mentioned, you know, like, should we care about what people think? Meaning, look how much land we gave away, probably for public opinion or right. whatever political reasons. Should we care so much? I mean, what do we do with that? Like, okay. what do we do with that? That's a, it's a very important question. And we're going to have to make a, in my opinion, it's important. We have, we're going to have to make a very important distinction. We should care what people think. 
the bad guys trying to convert are trying to convert every young person in America to think their way. So clearly it's an important goal to make sure that people think along lines with you. But that does not mean that you should kowtow, appease, and, and, and act in a, in a way to try to, uh, uh, you know, conform, conform or, or what's oh. the word I'm looking for, you know, uh, to, 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 to make people happy, uh, right? to, 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 to succumb submit. to, right. yeah. submit, yeah. that's yeah. not the way yeah. to do it. Yeah. The way to do it is to convince people, but through strength and to understand right. people respect strength. Yes, it's important what people think. I think it is important. But not to the point of uh, of of doing stupid things that endanger your security, and of actually giving up, of giving up, of, give, of surrendering, surrendering. And and what's so ironic, and this is my my colleagues on the left never understand this. You actually nobody likes you when you're a when you're a shmata, when you're a rag, and you do what other people want. People don't want that. People want to see strength. They respect strength. All of us. People say all the Arabs only understand strength. I say everybody understands strength. People respect strength. So, so that's a big distinction. So yes, important to fight what I call the narrative war, what you call the war, war of words. I call the narrative war. Um, yes, it is important to fight it, but not to the point of doing stupid things. That's not the way to do it. And, and, and you, you, don't, you can't appease these people. So, okay, so how do you do it? You, know, you talk about it with clarity. This is our land. These guys are jihadists. They, 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 they're trying to suppress Jews and Arabs alike. They're a force of regression. A force of darkness in this world. We have to fight them. Israel is the way forward. Israel's got to have strength. Israel, a bigger Israel is a, is a safer Middle East. The thing is that you did that, like with tens of thousands of people, but who, who really needs to hear it is the government. Absolutely. And, and we have now a more right-wing government. Look, the, government, the, whole, the, the sugya, the issue of, of, um, of the government of Israel is not an easy one. And that itself is its own podcast and its own discussion. But let's suffice it to say we're doing our best to get leaders that, 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 that are the right kind of leaders. And there's some better ones today. Uh, but we've been addicted to surrendering to, to so-called world opinion. By the way, there's many world opinions. Like any, any Hindu Indian wants us to be strong. Anybody in Poland and in Hungary and different kind of places anti-jihad nationalist countries are with us and there's many people here in america they're only disappointed that we're not tougher with the bad guys there's many people like that and by the way you'll meet you'll meet muslims you'll meet arabs you'll meet folks that say to you if you don't be strong with i have on my phone all the time all the pro-israel arabs write to me because they know that they, they, that I, they'll be heard they said you have to be strong with these guys you got to crush the bad guys you can't give them land can't give them a quarter can't give them an inch you're gonna you, you do that they are they're gonna metastasize and that's what they've done. So, um, okay, we, so, we have so our work do, cut out for yeah, us. Ha, yeah, so you tell me, what is, how do you see the future? Like, what is your work? What are you doing to, make, to do this? Well, my work, my work is, is, is fanned out a little bit into a different few planes, personally, me. Like, and that's a good question because I, I'm, giving, I'm giving myself advice what I can and should do. You got, a person's got to know their tafkid, right. their role. A person's got to know where Hashem has given them their, their, their strength and their path, where they can be effective. Um, but by the way, here in Florida, um, I have a friend who's a real estate finance guy. He's become a full-time shipper of, of, uh, of needs for Israeli soldiers. That's what amazing. he does now. That's yeah. what he does. And he's worked out a whole system. There's so about many people it. doing so many amazing things right. like that. So there's people, you got to figure out where Hashem has put you, what's yeah. your front. So for me, 
one front is to strengthen the the folks in Judea, not Samaria, because I don't work in Samaria. I know Judea and I know the people. So I'm working for, with Can you the, share the difference between Judea and Samaria? Samaria is the area north of uh, Jerusalem. Samaria is the area north of Jerusalem, the hilltops, mm -hmm. the, the, the mountains, and Judea is the area south right. of Jerusalem. And it's it's based on historical names. To get, yeah, to get absolutely. <laughs> so I'm working with, with 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 the communities that I can to help them with their needs, especially uh aggressive folks folks holding on to the land i like those kind of folks right. that's number one number num really that's number two because my first one is chevron i work for chevron and i'm here today to receive that ambulance and the needs that we have can i just give chevron. a shout out to my son zevi who is a shliach an emissary right now in chevron and inspiring all the soldiers that are there and they do beautiful work about chevron. and it's amazing i speak to my son every day and he's got this pride and feeling within him this yeah he, there's no fear in his vocabulary either he's on, <laughs> he's he's very lucky because he's on the cutting edge uh of chabad shlichus everybody knows that like that's one of the best places to be and you're you're doing your you and again it, it fuses that whole, that other chabad side which is chevron and being a soldier it fuses a lot of stuff together that's why i'm a big fan of chabad chevron in fact and just if i make a plug for this which is i love when chabad meets eretz israel i love that that um and i think that's the classic way I think that's the original way. And I think that the the anti-secular Zionism thing is passe. We have to pass that now and get into teaching Judaism and strengthening Israel in a Yiddishkeit sense. Uh, in any case, so that's one thing. So Hebron, the hilltops, and the, the narrative war as well. That's why I'm here as well, to speak and to help people get a few words. People need some words. Yeah, Words are, and you were right when you said war of words. You're right. It is a war of words. And sometimes we don't know the words. I see it all the time. People don't know the words. First thing, the word jihad. Say the word jihad. Don't say Hamas. We're not fighting with the Hamas. That's just one jihadist organization. We're fighting with jihadism. Jihadism. The, the, this identity, this, this teaching of uh, that, 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 that Islam will destroy uh, Israel and that, and that they'll take over the lands. That whole thing has got to be fought. And the uh, alliance between progressivism and jihadism has to be fought. What is progressivism? It's a way to weaken a society's defenses. You fight the family, which is the basic defense of, of, of civilization. You undermine the family. You under, uh, undermine roles, you know, uh, family roles. You undermine that whole thing. Uh, you undermine identity. America is not a good country anymore. France is not a French country anymore. You, you, you undermine that whole thing. And you, and you also undermine masculinity not in a sense of males but in a sense of posture a warlike posture a battle posture and you undermine that that's what progressivism does and then the jihad swoops in right and swoops right in and they take over with their what i call real toxic masculinity okay so so they under they're, they're undermining us we have to know that and we have to know these words we're fighting the jihad i always train people to say it's our land say it it's don't our say land. right it's our land don't say uh, it's jewish and democratic don't say well we're trying to share it don't say we've done everything for peace delete all those words say it's our land we're fighting for our land we're an ancestral people on tribal lands or tribal people on ancestral lands it doesn't matter we're from this land we, we have an ancient connection to this land it's ours historically and legally uh, and 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 in a few different ways we have rights to it and this is our land. We're going to push back on the bad guys. That's what it is. And you say it clearly. And Bezrat Hashem, our country, will start to behave with that clarity. It's not there yet. One person at a time. We have to, you know, do it individually and globally. Respect that the bad guys are also working one person at, the, at a time. The bad guys are working on Twitter. 
Twitter's the least of them. They're working on, on TikTok, and they're working, and they're really, they're working on brainwashing. And uh, So we have to do that too. That's right. That's right. But again, without, without kowtowing right. to, to, to incorrect narratives. Uh, but it, but were, it is important. You were talking about Tanakh earlier. So we know that anti-Semitism right. is not new. It's been around for as long as, you know, as, as long as we can remember. So Since the beginning of... Yeah, of so we actually interviewed uh, uh, Ben Shapiro, and he said something um, that stuck with me about how people don't think the way you do, and don't assume that they do. Like right. you said, everybody has their own thing. We have to respect each other, but also respect our differences. Considering the nature of anti-Semitism and how it's been around as long as we can remember, is it realistic to um, believe that we can change the narrative and reduce anti-Semitism in the world? Or is it just something that, like we see biblically, has, that, will never, with. that will never go away? Anti-Semitism is a taiva. How do we translate that into a English? Desire? It's a type of desire. It's a type of instinct. Right. It's right. there. It was, oh, it's always going to be there. But it's more prevalent when Israel is weak, when the Jewish people are weak. When we seem weak, the... You remember that movie, uh, Finding Nemo? Yeah. yeah. Remember Finding Nemo? So there's that, that shark who's trying to be a vegetarian, and he's like, fish are friends, not food. And everything's going good until he smells blood. Once he smells blood, the shark is like, the instinct just kicks in, and he becomes manic. Interesting. That, that's that's anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is there. Um, it's just been brought to light now, you're saying? No, more than that. It's there, but it can be suppressed. It's suppressed when Israel's strong. Yad Rama, when Israel's strong, when it comes out. That's, that's why the Torah keeps talking about when Egypt, when they come out of Egypt, Yad Chazaka, and, and, and then people are like, whoa. And we have other examples where people become Jewish, right? In the story of Yonah, when they see the power of God, people become like they're uh, they, 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 they take oaths. In, in, the, in the Megillat Esther, it says, you know, when they saw that the Jews kicked... You know the 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 uh, the, uh, am, the pro Haman party, the Amalekites. When they when when they fought them, then everybody's like Mitzahadim. They become Jewish. When Jews are strong, it suppresses the instinct for um, for anti-Semitism, and it, and and it is replaced with a awe and a respect. Whoa, these people are strong. God is with them. We see that in in in, uh, in last week's parsha when Yitzchak, you know, is successful. You know, the, the the Philistines come and say, "Well, we see that God is with you." So, so when we're strong, it bats down the well, instinct for anti-Semitism. Well, that's what I mean brought to light now because we're not strong enough. Right, it, but it's more than brought to light. It, 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 it's fed. It's right, fed. it's fed. It's fed. Mm. And that's exactly what you have to understand about these, these images. The images of the horrors work against us. We think that if we show the world, look what they did, how bad it is, then everybody's going to be like, shame on you, Hamas. No. When we show them how vile they are against us, they see that we are a broken people, that, right. that we're not we're not on top. And we have to have that, we have to have that 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 feeling that no, we destroy the enemies. That's why, that's why when you actually show and, and I heard an Arabic specialist, uh, a, a Middle East specialist talk about it on Israeli radio. She's like, You have to shame Hamas. You have to show them, look at you, you're like rats living underground tunnels behind Jewish women. This is a Muslim fight. You're Muslim men. You're not Muslim men. Look at you. Look at how you fight. You, you take people hostages. You, you kill babies. That's, that's Islam. That's how she said you have to talk. So in, in short, when, I don't, what was the question exactly? What was about, the, can we, is oh, it realistic we, to eliminate anti-Semitism? Can we wipe out, I mean, can we suppress? Stop kissing up. Start being strong. Um, don't let them bully you. 
Show them that you're strong. If on campus, and this is, this is you know, and I, you know, I have to be, it's so sad because I have to even be careful with my words, but if on campus they're coming to beat you up, you got to beat them up. That's just, that's just, that's just, you have I'm to sorry. Yourself. Yeah, that's it. And, 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 and you got to show but that's them. that's what we're doing right now. And I'm saying that's what we're at war, Defend, you know. That's right. Yeah, but but it's got to be everywhere. It's harder to do on campus. Yeah. It's harder the, to do, yeah, but you got to yeah, do it. Yeah, and, you, and, and, yeah. and, and, and the good folks did it back right, then. Right, and it, and it sent a big signal. Right now, we're sending a signal of, 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 of somewhat weakness. Uh, and that's why I'm very careful to post stuff of strength uh, on my feeds. Yeah, yeah. Aren't you called an, like an extremist? But I don't see you as extreme. I mean, you need to be an extremist in order to actually get your message across. You have to be passionate. They asked me once on Al Jazeera if I'm an extremist. I said to them, yeah, I extremely love my country. That's right. I extremely yeah, love yeah. My, my, my story, my capital, Yerushalayim. Yeah, I mean, we're extremely in love. It's true. And look, they're going to call you names. They're, they're, they're going to work. They have they have a million ways, and they're and they're quite good. Again, they're really quite good. They're they're quite good at what they do. So take them seriously, but don't be overly afraid of them. Don't give them that fear, uh, an aggressive stance, um, a stance that's based on our rights and our history and our connection, our tribal rights to this land, our historical rights, our God rights, and and we we just don't do that very well. A lot of times we want to be nice. We want to be nice. We love being nice. We love being perceived as nice. So. It's okay. You don't have to always be nice. And if you're on, on a campus like, uh, uh, where was that? And Cornell and another campus is like, make sure they know that the Jews are not going to be pushed around. You right. know what I mean? And so that, so, okay. You know, that's that, you know, you can get in trouble for saying things like that, but it is important. And Israel's got to do the same. Israel's got to stop making stupid mistakes. Stop, stop making stupid mistakes. Stop giving away your land. Stop allowing the UN to teach jihadism through UNRWA schools. Stop transferring money to the enemy through Qatar. Stop having no-go zones in your capital city. Stop doing stupid things. They will lead to disaster. And so we're working also on policy, on Israeli policy. We're trying to get it in the right direction. We pray for our country to, to get back into... When you say we, it's you and a group of people? Me and, and a huge swath and probably a majority of Israelis that just believe that it's time to step... We, they, have, they have ways of saying... In Israel, they call it, it's time to speak Arabic, they say. They have different ways of saying it. But it just means be a Middle East country. Stop being a, a West-style, you know, kind of sissy country. And it's gotta be it's gotta be strong. And people will like you better. That's that's the thing that the folks on the left never understand. The Arabs will be like, oh, right. oh okay, you're you're uh, you're you're like us. You're 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 we're Ishmael, you're Israel, right. okay, we're we're yeah. cousins, you know. It's like a message to all people pleasers. Really, this is on people a broader pleasers, scale. Pleasers. It's that's just right. like a bigger it's a bigger thing. It just we're the you know, the canaries in the coal mine were like, whoa, right. wait, wait, watch out. You know, if you people please, this is what will happen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it doesn't work. It's, it's, right, right. it's a failure. Yeah. It, it's a failure. It fails. I always ask people a simple scientific question. Were we liked better around the world after the Six-Day War or after the Oslo Accords? When we started giving away our land, when we were big and strong, did the people like us better? Or when we started being good and nice and giving away our land for peace? Which one? It's, it's not even a question. The Six-Day War, people are like, the whole world was like, wow. Wow, that is Israel is back. Like that Bible that my mom read to me, that's real. That just happened. I just saw that with my own eyes. God reached down out of the heavens and, and, and fought a battle for Israel like in the Bible, like Joshua. That was unbelievable. Everybody, believers, not believers, Soviets, Arabs, every, Christians, Catholics, everybody's like, whoa, that, something just happened. The minute we started being a kind of more, um, you know, people-pleasing type country, and with a, 
And and what would you, what'd you say? Which Complacent. word? Complacent. Well, more than even more. It's it's surrendering. surrendering. And, to surrendering. Yeah. yeah. It, it, we, our our name went down and down and down and down. And so okay. So there's a scientific way. Which which way do you want to choose? Uh, but for various psychological reasons, Israel has entered that. Uh, the, now we have a a fight inside of of Israel. We have a fight. You know. What do you, what do you think of what's happening right right this moment with the hostages and and having to cease fire? <sighs> You know what? I'm I'm just gonna make my comment. I'm gonna limit my comment to. This is what happens when you make stupid mistakes. Bad things happen, and then you have to negotiate on stupid things, and you're in a bad place. It's you're in a bad place. You know what I mean? Once once you're in a bad place, so you know, do I do you know do I think we should be negotiating now with with Hamas? No, I think we should be destroying them, and I think we should use this opportunity. And this is a very important thing to say. And I'm glad that Hashem put it back in my mind to say this one thing. Very important for all of us right now, which is. Never let a crisis go to waste. A crisis, and this is a crisis, a full-on crisis. We have to utilize it right now to move forward. We have to utilize it to bring more juice to Yiddishkeit. People want Yiddishkeit right now. People want it. And in every other way, we've got to actually use this moment, which is a moment where we're a little like down and we're a little on the, you know, we got to be aggressive and actually use it to gain. And if you don't have enough motivation from what I just said, I'll say it a different way, which is let's sanctify all the people that died. Let's give their death meaning. Let at least them have died to say, but because of that, we achieved this. It's sad, but let's give them a Kiddush Hashem to their name. And if we don't, then, then they would have died in vain. We can't have that. We have, to, we have to fight Mamash to sanctify their death right now. That's a very important point. That's very, that gives me the chills. That's powerful. It is. And um, I want to tell you that um, I said this yesterday at a dinner and people were like shocked by this. I told them, since this happened, nothing tastes good. Food does not taste good. This tea does not taste that good. Okay? <laughs> it doesn't. It's nothing true. tastes that good. Shabbos is not Shabbos. Sleep is not sleep. There's, 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 a, there's, there's no joy. There's no joy. There's no. You can't, how can you have joy when you have 200 people in who knows what conditions? So uh, we've been hit, but we have to. We have to come back and uh, do what I just said, which is um, uh, utilize this moment as much as possible. And Bezrat Hashem will see a sweet time again, and tea will taste good again. Yeah, Amen. Yeah, we. Yeah. I mean, it's hard when you ask people since October 7th, how are you doing? It's a tough question. It's like we're we're broken. Yeah. But we're also strong. We're, that's right. And we also, you know, we, we were hit, but we're fighting. Right. Right. In Israel, right. the answer is, how are you doing? You say it like everybody else. That's the answer. Yeah. That's what yeah, people say. Yeah, Come on, yeah, cool yeah. yeah. You know, the Lubavitcher Rebbe said, there's nothing as whole as a broken heart. I'm That's just right. thinking from what you shared. Like, nothing tastes the same. We're broken. But that, that like you said, to take this, this crisis and make us whole like yes, that's sir. what's going to bring us to a whole place hashem should give us strength we we, we need strength right now and uh, and uh, and there is beautiful things there's beautiful things beautiful things and am israel is chazak and they're coming together and there's beautiful coalescing of people and everybody's fighting there's a lot of beauty there's a lot of miracles tons right. of miracles right tons of miracles you feel a little sad to say you know about a miracle because somebody else you know i just want if you want i could tell you a I little story say, can yeah. you share a miracle story it's important to hear inspiring stories as well. I'll do my best. To lift us up. I'll do my best. Uh, I have a very good friend uh, from the army. His name is Yossi Urim. He's a fabulous guy. And he uh, was always a little bit different. He's the kind of guy that the uh, systems, the mozdois, don't always like. 
he's just a little, he has a, just a bit of a quirky enough, and he's great, and he's smart, and he was a great soldier, and I would go to battle with him any day, any day. Um, but uh, but the commanders didn't always like him, because he always did things just a little bit differently. <laughs> but he was always good, you know, but he couldn't rise up in the ranks, that type of thing, because he just, anyway. Goes to the beat of his own drum. A little bit, just that little bit, and that little bit was was enough to make people crazy. Okay. Um, but anyway, he, and I could tell you stories about him, but... But anyway, he found a great wife, and he had a lot of kids, Baruch Hashem. And she comes from an important family, the, the Varhaftig family. She, anyway, he, he did well, Baruch Hashem, and, uh, and he became a Torah teacher. And he moved around from place to place, also, I think, because of the same character. But he found a home in Zderot. In Zderot, and he started teaching there in Torah, and he was successful, really successful there. But anyway, on the very day, uh, October 7th, Simchas Torah, basically his son, uh, his son was coming to shul with him, and then for some reason, he decided to take his, his long gun. And uh, the Ashul became under attack suddenly. And his son fought off the attackers. The attackers threw in also two grenades into the Ashul. And there was like 10 old men in the Ashul. And the grenades didn't go off. They just didn't go off. Because if they had, it would have been finito. Right. It would have been done. Wow. Grenades so in a, a small space. It was a big miracle. Yossi ran back to the house. On the way, he got shot. He got shot in the shoulder. And he knocked on the door. At first, his wife wouldn't open the door. And he convinced her that he was alone and everything's yeah. okay. And finally, she opened the door. And she laid him down on the floor. And he was bleeding inside and out as well. And he uh, called the ambulance corps. Now, the ambulance corps was very heroic, but they couldn't get to a lot of people. And some places were locked out. And they didn't get to him. And Yossi was bleeding out to die. He was bleeding out. And an hour and a half passed. Suddenly, a knock on the door. There's a civilian guy. And he says, my name is whatever. And he says, I'm here to take you to the hospital. I and somehow this guy got a hold of the dispatch of Mada, of Magenta Vida Dome, and was take, driving all around the town, picking up people under fire. Just a dude. Who was this dude? This dude was, turned out, was a, was a guy who was a successful guy with a pool in his backyard in a, in a town further north. He heard what was going on, and he got and he in his drove. car, and he drove down, Isn't and he's driving under fire, and he's picking up people, and he rescued some 20 people that day. Wow. Yossi was going to die. He told me. He's like, I, was, I felt the life seeping out of me. It was, I was starting to pass it into, into unconsciousness. In any case, this guy came, and he picked him up, and he put him in the car, and he drove to the hospital and saved his life. Wow. The next day, a rocket fell and killed that guy. The dude. The, the, the driver. We have to get his name. Yeah. And he was killed. So, you know, heroism, loss, you know, war. Uh, but, but there's more and more stories. I've, so many I've, heroes. So many heroes. So many different heroes. So many different types of heroes. Uh, in, in Hebron, we have a sister city, Kirat Arba. The mayor's son, the mayor of the town, Eliyahu Liebman, his son was uh, one of the guards at the Nova party. And he went back and forth, back and forth, pulling people out until he himself was taken captive. Rom. This is, I, met, I just met his mother. Yeah. Because they came to, they, and that's a shout out, her name's Tamar. I, I, just to look, I, they came to New York, all right. the that's right. hostages' families, most of them to visit the Lubavitcherby's gravesite. That's right. And um, she lost all her belongings the next day because my father-in-law actually gave each 
uh, hostage's family a shekel from the Rebbe and a Tehillim, and all her belongings were stolen. So my husband and I actually went to bring her another one. Wow. And so I met her. This wow. is Rom's mother, and she told me about her son and that he was on guard and he saved many lives and he's been taken. But to look into a mother's eyes and see the anguish. And this guy, this guy didn't have son. to do it. He yes. went back in. He was saving other people until he finally got caught. I mean, he was asking for it, you know, but he was doing it. He was doing it to rescue people. There's tons of stories like that. Rom ben Tamar Yona, and he should come Amen. back home safely, Amen. and so should all the hostages. Amen. And by the way, I found the Capitol Tillim, a, a, ch a chapter in the Psalms, which I recommend, which I think says it all. If you read it slowly, you know how Tillim is? You know, suddenly you read it slowly, they're like, oh, I think it's talking about my situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 79, yeah. 79, Psalm 79. I was like, wow, that is spot on. That is spot on. Like, you know how it is? You know, you read in the Torah, you read in the Torah, like, and then Amalek struck. You're like, yeah. okay, and Amalek struck, you read on the next passage. But then you're like, no, Amalek struck. Now I know what that feels like. Now, that, that little verse is, has behind it a lot more yeah. of what happened there. There's and so much pain going on. I actually just want to mention, I'm going to put in the podcast notes a link to Rom's mother's um, charity campaign because she doesn't have a, she's not working now. She's trying to get her son back and um, she has no money at the moment. And so there's a campaign running for her. And there's, there's, so many, there's so many effects from all these, all these um, hostages and the soldiers there's and the plenty of moms there's and... plenty of moms who just their husbands have left yeah in the army there's tons of people like that i'll give you an example in my community of efrat there's a family that has there's a cafe they uh, one family has now sponsored two hours a day the cafe is open eat what you want only and hang out only for the mothers m m women whose husbands are in the army so they just come in, they sit and eat and chat, give each other strength. There's babysitting services just for two hours a day. I was blown away by that simple concept. You yeah. know what I mean? Just give, give them a little, have a coffee, have a croissant, hang out. Yeah. Nice. My daughter who lives in Parashana, my mm -hmm. daughter and her husband and my grandson, they, um, most Shabbat, every, usually every Shabbat, she has her friend who comes and her husband is in Gaza um, fighting and uh, in the army and um, she has three little boys and she has no idea when her husband's coming back just right. just to hear personally from my daughter that she's with this woman every shabbos and like how strong she is she just is proud of her husband and she doesn't know when he's coming back yeah she has faith it's it's touching everybody's life there is not anybody who's not in the picture we're all in it and economically also by the way the country is you know it, the, the the markets it's not working you know things are not like for example just to give you an example my son's school has half a day because the teachers are gone that's just that's just the reason see what right, i'm saying it's like right, right. there's so many there's so many ripples we don't even expect it uh so we're definitely at war it's definitely a crisis but there's definitely lots of opportunities and lots of miracles lots of heroism is your hope to have all the hostages home and is your hope to have Gaza back with us. So uh, yeah, I have I have different hats. You know, I have different hats. I have like, like a rational hat and a Hashem hat. Yes. You try to make Merge it to one two. hat, yeah, but it, it doesn't always work. It doesn't. It, it, you try. We try. By the way, yesterday I was driving uh, uh, up from uh, from Aventura up to uh, Boca, and I passed by Fort Lauderdale, and I was talking to myself and talking to Hashem and I was a little bit down and suddenly a giant airplane crossed right in front of me. It was a big yellow airplane and it had the big word spirit. <laughs> right. And I was like, 
And somebody told me yesterday, you know, it's it's good to get inspiration from spirit. You don't maybe know want to fly spirit, but right. <laughs> but but like he, you it's want a message to right, you. It's a message, yeah. right? And I was like, Hashem wants spirit. He wants he wants well, ruach. I've, right I've now. got more of the Hashem hat, and I feel like I need to have more of the rational hat. But how would you merge the rational hat and the Hashem hat together? Well, you you, you hope you you the, the magic word here is policy. You really hope that Israel takes the right kind of policy towards the enemies and really fights not just Hamas but the jihad in general and pushes back on it and holds on to our land. I'll give you an example. Right now, there's a big discussion about what's going to be the day after in Gaza what's going to be the day after the the complex Jewish answer is well we'll have military control but we'll find some kind of multinational you know at best case or maybe god forbid the PA the Palestinian Authority to rule it all these things are like what smart Jews come up with instead of the simple answer the plain answer which is also the smartest and most and most and, and most readily available and the correct answer is we hold on to our land we police and govern it. We resettle it. We we it was settled for the last hundreds and hundreds of years. It's been it was settled by the state of Israel. We got to resettle it. How are we gonna? How would you see doing that in Gaza right now? Just like that, we got we govern this area as a as a as a as a as a territory of Israel. Okay, hopefully annex it one day. But in the meantime, and uh, uh, um, govern it as a as a territory. Start putting in your communities. Every Arab there that is post-jihad, post non-jihad, pro-Israel can have residency, but we govern, and the bad guys got to go. They got to go. They got to go. There's no, simply zero, here's a phrase, zero tolerance for jihadism. It's so not complex. wipe out jihad. Right. Wipe, out wipe it out or push Gaza them out. And then start putting, that's start right. putting settlements back. Yes. That's that's the normal thing to do. Have you ever looked at the map of Israel without Gaza? It's like coastline. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a big cavity. It's it's wrong. It's wrong on every level. It's wrong geographically. It's wrong historically. It's wrong legally. It's certainly wrong in the fight against terrorism. Hold on to your land. Push out the bad guys. Put your Jewish communities back in. Right historical wrongs, and 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 you'll see that it'll flourish again. Amen. I mean, that, that's I, I, a Hashem we, hat, isn't it? It's no, but that, that's that's also a policy hat. That's not. That's not. Right, that's so not. Policy has to change. The policy should be Hashem hat. Yeah, that's it's, right. But, but it's also the, what's what what people want to tell you is that oh, your God hat is your irrational hat. No, the rational policy is the strong policy is the God policy. It's 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 also this. What really gets me is is that Jews and other people always make things complex. I think as an as intellectual people, we should reduce things to simple phrases, simple concepts that make sense. Right. Simple basic foods, simple things. And I'm just saying, this is our land. Hold on to it. Jihadis, no. Pro-Israel, others, yes. Simple. You're a tiny little country in the Middle East. Hold on to your land. Don't let the bad guys gang up on you and arm themselves against you. Don't but do that. But as you say, now we now we got ourselves into a mess. We were so in a we're to, in a mess. So we've got to rebuild. We got it. We got to we got to as they say, build back better. When they you know usually that's a term of of the left. I like to say build back better is, is the Beit Hamikdash. You know we're going to build it back and even better third third Beit Hamikdash. But in any case, yes, yes, it's 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 it it all. It's all quite organic. It's it's really simple and organic and sensical. And and by the way, it is what I'm what I'm what I'm what I'm offering is also the Middle East way. It's the it's the way the nobody in the Middle East gives away land and, and negotiates away their capital city and stuff. That's all ridiculous stuff. That's not the way. Arabs do not respect you. They respect you when you're strong. 
There's nothing wrong with that. That's the way of the Middle East. And that's that's the Torah way and the rational way. It's all totally organic. All the other stuff is this like contorted weirdness. We'll rule the army, but we'll have some other entity. Well, you're just allowing the same thing to happen again and again. Right. So I hope, I hope, Israel Hashem, that we're in a, I, I'm praying that we're in a process of what we call in Hebrew, hit pakhut, wisening up and coming to, but we have a lot of forces against us. We have a and lot have of forces against strong. us. Like Hanukkah's coming, the Maccabees were a small little army. You know, I'm the kind of guy, I cry when I light the Hanukkah candles because I, because I, I remember, it's my mother's gene in me. My mother is a chemist, but she is a great intellectual and, a, and, a, and an amazing historian. Wow. Really, an ama- like amazing knowledge of So we of should history. have your mom on. She's the best. <laughs> and, uh, and, and God bless her. She lives in Yerushalayim now. And, and um, Hanukkah, like to, is what you just said, these, these band of brothers who, who, who pushed back against giant empires and fought, by the way, the Hellenist Jews and, and cleansed the land from idolatry and, and Hellenism. It, it was a 20-year war. And then finally, clean out the Beit HaMikdash and lit that candle, those candles again. It's, the Hanukkah, Hanukkah is now. There's no question about it. This, this Hanukkah is going to be like a Hanukkah. It's going to be like, we're going to light those candles. We're going to be like, you know. We're like gonna, you say, crying. Yeah, yeah it's going to be it's gonna be the real <laughs> crying, Hanukkah this year. I can feel crying it. Crying with the yeah. prayers for the miracle. That's right, that's right. But the miracle, as Rabbi Richmond once said to me, Rabbi Chaim Richmond of the Temple Institute at the time, he said to me, he said to me, what's the miracle of Hanukkah? That a family of Jews stood up. That's the miracle of Hanukkah. Not the oil and all that. The miracle of Hanukkah is that a family, a, a group of people stood up. Yeah. That, was, that was the miracle. And that's your message. Yeah, that's, that's it. And, 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 it's, and it, it, it wants to happen. It's organic. It's natural. It's simple. It's beautiful. And let's hope that Bezrat Hashem will come back to the time where, where, where the narrative that Israel is the strong country, that the Arabs want to join with us because, because, because we're an Abrahamic region and that we're going to be blessed through walking the path of Abraham, that, that, that we're going to have a, we're going to come back to Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach, and, and really a service of, of Hashem, tourism, railroads throughout uh, the Middle East. That dream was coming, but uh, the bad guys derailed it, and it was Hashem will get back to it. Come back stronger. Do you, so we, we That's used, a lot of stuff so yeah, far. Right? Yeah, I, yeah. I love what you've shared. Thank you for the inspiration and thank you for the schut of being with you and the strength, the strength as a, a um, you know like the Maccabees to stay to stay strong even though we're small. You got to here's a slogan: be the Maccabee. You got to be the Maccabee. You got to you got you got to they say be the miracle. Right, you know? right. Just be the Maccabee. You you got to be that. And whatever in whatever Hashem has given you, um, um, the, the the your theater of operations. Yeah, because we usually end with a quote. Like we like to wrap up with a quote or a parting message, something that people can take away and remember. But be the Maccabee is a good one. Yeah, be the Maccabee. Do you have another any quotes that resonate with you that you like or that you connect and, and to? And you can also share a message to our listeners. And we have, you know, thousands of listeners from all walks of life. Jews and non-Jews. <sighs> like it's like it's running through. Like I'm running through in my head all the different verses that that uh, that we love so much that give us a lot of strength. You can say a few of them. On the one hand, uh, you know, I've I've a, a, a phrase that came to my mind, which is El Nekamot Hashem. God is a God of a vengeance. We have to avenge that blood. That's like a hard thing to say, but there's a truth there. You can't allow that that blood to be spilled like that. Um, Jewish blood should not be cheap. That's that's one side of it. Uh, on the other side is um, 
that Rav Cook says that during a time of war for the Jews, the Davidic light shines. The light of the Davidic uh, Mashiach shines. There's a shine there. There's like something. There's a one, something wants to be born in this world. It's like, and and I mean, and I don't have to tell you. You know better than me. But but labor is also a type of labor for a child is also a type of. There's a type of milchama that happens there, and there's something that's happening right in the world. There's a bloodletting, but through that could come out a, a greater time. And we have to uh, we have to know, like a mother knows, that right now it's war and there's a great light past it. And uh, I think that we have to ask for Hashem's face right now. Hashem's face. Hashem's face should be in our life, you know. And and when, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, his face shone. It wasn't that his face shone. It was that he had seen God and his face was, 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 was shining back uh, uh, God's light. I know my face is very tired, by the way. You don't my, look it. Yeah, my face, my face muscles, everything, very, you know. In general, you mean? No, right now, because no. of this war, like, this, as I said before, there's no sleep, there's no, right. it's not the same, you know. But Hashem is with you, because I see, your, <laughs> I see your, you, you're fired up. <laughs> we're, we're, we're definitely fired up. We're definitely, we, yeah, we're not, yeah, this is, this is, this is our time. Uh, the land of Israel wants to be, oh, and here's you're one of my, Hashem's face. my, my WhatsApp, uh, my WhatsApp uh, status. profile status name is, the, the phrase that I use there is, Ta'ir, ta'ir eretz mikvodecha. The land should shine from your glory. And the land there could be the land of Israel or the land of the world. Hashem's glory wants to shine. And when, when Am Yisrael is in Eretz Yisrael, following Torah Yisrael, uh, when, when the Jewish people are in the land of Israel with the light of the Torah following it, the beauty of the Sabbaths, then there's a light to the whole world. And the bad guys want to extinguish that light. And that's what Hanukkah is. It's light. And I think that there's definitely an effort right now to extinguish it. And that just means that our light's got to shine much bigger right now. So Bezrat Hashem, that's my message. Let's work right now to light up this world with Hashem's, with Hashem's light. And, and that's going to come through Jewish strength, Jewish unity. Let's take a step towards Eretz Yisrael. Step towards Eretz Yisrael. Friday night, make Kiddush on wine from Eretz Yisrael. Uh, especially Judea and Samaria, the, the, the holier part of Eretz Yisrael. Hebron, we've got great wines, but there's Psagod and Shiloh and all those wines. Put that into your bloodstream. Say Lechaim to Eretz Yisrael, that little thing. Uh, me and Malka, we used to bring out shot glasses full of water from Eretz Yisrael as dessert and make people be like, say Lechaim to Eretz Yisrael when we were living in New York. That's so beautiful. I take love a, that take idea. a step, take a step. You know, they sell water here, they sell water from Eretz Yisrael. You know, drink that, the, the water from Eretz Yisrael. Have a picture. I say this a lot of times to Chabad schools. Have a picture of Eretz Yisrael. Hebron, Tzfat, whatever does it for you. Whatever did it for you. Have a picture of Eretz Yisrael, a map of Eretz Yisrael, something. Send your kids to camp to Eretz Yisrael. Don't send them to Acapulco on, on college spring break. Send them to Eretz Yisrael. Um, um, vacation in Israel this summer, next summer. Make a plan. Uh, but a big one is, if you can, I highly recommend this. I know it's a big, tall order, but I say to people, buy property in Eretz Israel. Be a landowner in Eretz Israel. Have something. Find a way to have something. If you can't do that, then make it that it's part of your yearly budget that you're going to come to Eretz Israel. Even if it's a three-day refresher, I need to recharge my batteries, that kind of thing. But take a foot, take a step into Eretz Israel. A step. Find some way. And there is, of course, bigger steps like Aliyah. And we always invite people to come home. And, and it's great life. And it's very special. 
And that's the, the you know, that's a, a great ultimate step. You can't take that step. I always say, buy property. Wow. The rabbi often said when people would walk by for dollars um, and publicly in his fabring, and he said, Hashem has his eyes on Eretz Yisrael from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And it says, well, what about the rest of the world? But by Hashem having his eyes on Eretz Yisrael, that reflects that's on right. the rest of the world. That's right. And so your message is not only to Absolutely. the people of Eretz Yisrael, but it's to all of us. Like if we all unite together and do these concepts that you just said, not concepts, reality check. <laughs> and in giving to the land of Israel, Eretz Israel, we have hope Amen. for the future of Eretz Israel. Thank you so much for letting me be with you. And I'm going to jump you. on an airplane now and uh, go back to Eretz Israel. Well, but we'll stay connected. And, and, and that's we thank you do. for everything that you do for us, for Am Israel. And Hashem should give you strength and you shouldn't feel tired. You should feel the strength. <laughs> um, and you probably just don't realize how much strength you do have because you have given us so much strength. All right, Malka, that was uh, from the inside out uh, with Rivka and, and Edda. That was very special for me. I don't know why exactly, but I, I think I said a lot of things that I wanted to say. So I think it was a special opportunity. Malka, it's always a special opportunity for uh, everybody to be with you on the show. Aww. So thank you very much. Thank you. This Torah portion is about the selling of Joseph. And there's so much to talk about, but I'm out of time because I got to jump to do a Zoom uh, show in New York. But I do want to say that uh, there's some one tiny Torah that I love so much is that at some point when Joseph was down in Egypt, he started thinking to himself, this Mrs. Potiphar that's like, that's starting up with me uh, and, and is interested in me getting together with her, even though she's a married woman to an important official, maybe that is the pathway for me to move forward because I know I'm supposed to be like a viceroy of Egypt. She can give me connections and all that. Maybe, maybe she's right. She keeps on pushing me to try and maneuver me in and, and my husband and her husband out. And then suddenly he had a realization that that wasn't it. And one of the explanations that I read was, she spoke to him, yom, yom. She spoke to him every day. And then he's like, that is not Yetzir Hatov. That's not the good inclination. The good inclination doesn't knock on the door every day. That's the bad inclination. Bad inclination calls you every day. Good inclination opens little windows. Sometimes you got to sneak through, push through. Bad inclination is always pushing on you. So uh, uh, that's how he knew when something was calling to him every day. Bezrat Hashem, our good inclination will overcome our bad inclination Amen. and that we will serve Hashem and that we will be victorious and we'll have a growth spurt through this whole war and become closer to God, come closer to Torah as a nation. We'll clean up our act. We'll stop disappointing God. We'll bring our people stronger together. We'll learn to love one another, learn to have better manners towards one another. Uh, and really the light of Hanukkah should this year grow us like the sun grows us. We should, we should grow up a little bit through it and really become a better people, more the people that God wants from us that we, and that all those that died will have not died in vain. Amen. They will have died in, a, in, a, in, a, in the beginnings of a revolution uh, that will have seen the Jewish people become what they're supposed to be. Shlomo Karlbach says the whole world is just waiting for the Jewish people to be what we're supposed to be. God bless you folks, wherever you are. Thank you very much. Thank you, Malka. Thank you, crew, for helping me uh, make the show happen. Lots of love. Lots of blessings from the land of blessings. Chag Hanukkah Sameach. May you enjoy the light of Hanukkah. May it enter your souls. May it enter your life. May it be first something that warms you inside, gives your home and family strength and your community strength. And then, Bezrat Hashem, in better times, it'll go out to the world. God bless you. Amen. Stay strong. Stay tuned. Stay connected. Lots of love. Shalom. And shalom.